everybody, we're back. And again, it hasn't been a gazillion years between episodes, and I'm not sure what I'm doing to make that happen. But here we are again. My name is Amanda Reyes, and this is the Made for TV Mayhem show. I'm here with my two hosts. So why don't I introduce them real quickly, and then we'll just dive into what we're talking about tonight, which is the CBS School Break Specials, which is our way of saying let's go back to school, even though going back to school means sitting on Zoom and probably watching movies while people are lecturing. So... Why not watch a CBS school break? So, uh, hey, Dan, what's up? Not much. I am ready to uh, learn some lessons. I never, ever watched these things when I was a kid. I only watched them for the Made for TV Mayhem show. So I'm excited to uh, talk about them. That's weird. I thought everybody watched after school specials. I think I've said before, I when I was, I, I had a real tough time with uh, hour-long uh, programming when I was a kid. I, I found it really boring. I could only watch like half-hour shows or movies. If it was an hour, I, I couldn't do it, so... They went over my head, basically. Apart from uh, Love Boat and MacGyver. You're super, you're super MTV generation. Damn straight. Yeah, sounds like it. By the way, I realize I always say my first and last name, and I always just call you Dan. But you're Dan Budnick. <laughs> I am. I am. I am. You can call you can call me Daniel Raymond Frank Budnick if you'd like to be uh, official about it. But you can call me Dan. But I am Dan Budnick. Yes. You can call Frank, me Dan, or you can call me Stan, you or you can call me Rand. Yeah. Okay. So um, we're also here with our other co-host. I'm so happy he's here because I think yeah. he had to miss our last talk. By the way, um, our other co-host is Nathan Johnson. But the thing is, he's missed every romance TV movie podcast episode we've done. And I'm starting to take it personally. Nate, why is have that? I'm, have I missed all of them? Because I thought I, I, I was there for the one, uh, what was the name of it? Was Susan Flannery? Oh, that's right. You were there for that. But that's because Rita Moreno was in that. Nope, nope. You did a five minutes with Nate for that. Oh, okay. I think, uh, you've, I think you've watched them, but then you can never, make, quote unquote, make the episode. Something happens, and then you can't do the episode. Oh, my mic broke. Oh, I have to work. And you've missed every single one, Nate. Well, a work is very pressing. <laughs> I'm sure it is. I'm sure it's much more pressing than watching romance TV movies. But our last episode, we actually had an interview, and um, and we covered Two Shades of Love, and we've been getting a lot of uh, yes. great feedback about that. So um, I definitely think we're going to do ro- more romance movies. So, Nate, you probably want to clock in some of those hours. Yeah. Okay. Okay. No, I will, I will make the next romance episode. Cool. Okay, well. You've now said it out loud, so you have to do it. So, uh, I have to. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, as I said, we are talking about the CBS school break. So, I think a couple of years ago now, we did um, the ABC after school special. And, you know, it's kind of funny in a way because I picked two episodes uh, from the after schools or what I thought were ABC after school specials. One was, um, I can't even remember the name of it now, but they both starred Lance Guest. And um, one was like a little romance, which Nate did see and he didn't care for, with um, Carlene Crockett and Lance Guest, Two Loves for Jenny. And then there was another one, I think it was something called like, Please Don't Hit Me in the Face. Do you remember that one, Nate? Oh, yes. I remember <laughs> yeah, that one. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It was a classic. And I thought, it was, an, and I thought it was an ABC after school special, but it turned out it aired in primetime. And here we have the same thing. So we have two CBS school breaks, but one of them ended up airing in primetime. So we will talk about that when we get there. But the two episodes we're covering tonight are Portrait of a Teenage Shoplifter from 1981 and The Drug Knot. And I don't remember what 
year that was. So, <laughs> but it was later. It was it was late enough that Dave Faustino was a little kid in it to give you some kind of clarification of that. And so let me just briefly tell you a little bit about the CBS school break. It was at the time that Portrait of a Teenage Shoplifter was made called the CBS Afternoon Playhouse. And then it became a school break special uh, a few years later. So the first episode of the uh, CBS Afternoon Playhouse was actually a miniseries made for kids, the first miniseries made for kids called Joe, Joey and the Red Hawk. So what happened was they played it every afternoon for a week. So one week in 19, in December of 1978, um, there was an ABC Afternoon Playhouse on every afternoon for about half an hour for the whole five episodes. And it became a little mini series, so or a novella is what, how I thought of it. And then um, the Afternoon Playhouse became the CBS School Break in January of 1984. And the series ran until 1986. So it's pretty comparable to the after school specials. It started a few years after, but it kind of ran alongside it. Almost up until the end, I think. I can't remember when the ABC After School special ended. It was, it was after the CBS school break, though. I found this thing in a journal for teachers. A woman named Irene Matthews, who I believe was a, a, some kind of teacher in a place called Orange High School in California, uh, wrote in to this journal to talk about the CBS school break and ABC After School specials. So let me just read this real quickly. It's two paragraphs. And then this is basically, I think, the context you will need to see how important these shows were, um, especially for teachers. So Irene writes, CBS school break specials and ABC After School specials are two series that I recommend regularly to my students. Both programs, which air monthly, address contemporary problems in teenagers' lives, such as stepfamilies, divorce, gangs, stereotypes, alcoholism, and illiteracy. They are motivational in terms of classroom discussion, preparation for problem solution, controversial issues, observations, evaluations, or autobiographical writing, as well as mediums to get, quote-unquote, into literary works. These programs are well done technically and usually star well-known performers that students recognize. My favorite was The Day They Came to Arrest the Book. This program not only presented the larger problem of censorship, but was, quote-unquote, right on in tuning into what some object to about this particular novel. It showed a class, its teacher, students, parents, the school librarian, and the school board grappling with the issue of the required reading of Twain's classic Huckleberry Finn. Ultimately, the students won the right to read the novel and decide for themselves its validity for classroom study. This program diffused most of the concerns that I and my black students had, especially with the language before they had read and discovered the quote-unquote bigger picture of the novel. So while these two episodes aren't tackling literary works, they are tackling things that um, young people are dealing with on a day-to-day -day basis, right? These are uh, The CBS School Break and the ABC After School Special were really great about handling a wide variety of topics as this teacher stated and that's what I loved about it here though um, the episodes were covering um, Portrait of a Teenage Shoplifter and the Drug Knot ended up being I think indicative of what makes the CBS School Break so different from the ABC After School Special in that uh, I'm not saying all the episodes went this way, but these are very dark episodes. And I didn't even realize um, when I paired them together exactly how dark they were until I watched them back to back. Uh, but they make kind of interesting companions to each other. Now they have other lighter episodes. I think there's one where like the kids all get married. Do you remember those classes they used to have on TV shows where like the students would have to marry each other? And then, like, oh, yeah. figure out budgets and stuff. Yeah, they have, like, episodes like that and, and you know, lighter ones. But um, but they really dealt with heady topics in fairly realistic ways. And I'm not saying the ABC After School Special didn't, but not every problem 
get solved in 45 minutes. And the CBS school break, I think, recognize that more. And in that way, they're completely different in certain aspects than the after school special. And I think that they're kind of underrated. Um, I tend to like them a little more. Um, and I, maybe I shouldn't say that out loud, but I do. I kind of, when I go to look up these shows, I tend to want to watch the CBS school breaks. So anyway, let's just get started. So the first one we're dealing with would be a CBS afternoon playhouse, since they hadn't become the special yet, or the school break special, Portrait of a Teenage Shoplifter, which aired on CBS uh, on December 1st, 1981. What started out as a game... I can't believe you did that! Neither can I! ...turned into a habit. Every day the girl's got something new on her back. Where in the world does all this stuff come from? Well, what if you got caught? They never catch anybody. I... Even if they did, all they do is give you a lecture or something. A habit that could ruin her life. Where do you think you're going? Portrait of a Teenage Shoplifter. Hello, everyone. Uh, this one, our, our main gal is, I believe her name is Karen. Forgive me if I'm wrong, but I think that's correct. Yes. Um, Karen has, uh, she's in high school. She's a junior. She's, uh, I, I would I would uh, play, place her around like 16, I guess, if she's a junior. Um, she is a cheerleader. She is a dancer, like ballet dancer. And she has two very good friends, uh, one of whom I spent the whole episode sitting there going, where do I know her yep. from? Where do I know her from? And then when I realized where it was, I was like, oh, wow. But I won't say that now. But um, she is, uh, she, uh, Karen likes a um, a, uh, a, a ba- basketball player who's um, kind of being um, schmoozed by another other cheerleader who has more moves than Karen. <laughs> Some great moves. Karen and her friend and her two friends are in a a, a clothing store. Do I sound like my my grandmother? They're in, they're in the mall. They're in a store uh, buying some clothes. And um, Karen doesn't have enough clothes for what uh, have enough clothes. She doesn't have enough money for what she wants. So her friend, whose name I forget, basically puts the clothes she has into her bag and then puts Karen's clothes into Karen's bag and they leave. And her evil friend, I'll call her that because I forget her name, and, and Karen are like, oh, my gosh, that was so exciting. And the other friend, the one who I recognize, is like, guys, you shouldn't steal. <laughs> I, I think the evil girl's name is Trisha. Trisha, okay. And Becky is the good girl. Becky Trisha, with the bad okay. grades is the good girl. So the episode kind of goes along and for the majority of it, it's sort of a drama where you follow Karen and she, her parents are nagging her. Why aren't your grades better? Why aren't you this? Blah, 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 blah. And you have um, uh, this, she kind of begins a bit of a romance with the, with the basketball player who rides a motorcycle. And he's also like competing with this other gal, uh, Cheryl, the other cheerleader. And she's doing her ballet dancing. And it's, it's sort of, she's just like a regular teen. Like I think her friend, um, I think Becky there says to her at one point um, when when Karen is complaining how rough her life is, Becky says something like, well, just sounds like you're an adolescent, which is more or less what it is apart from all the shoplifting. I never do anything right. I mean, I'm trying, but I just can't concentrate. My parents are bugging me all the time. I mean, I love them, but I just don't know. Sometimes I just hate myself. I feel so ugly. What's wrong with me? Karen, everybody feels that way sometimes. Yeah, but I feel that way all the time. It's awful. I get so depressed. And I do these things. It's like everything's out of my control. 
Maybe you just feel things harder than other people. Sometimes I think it's better to be like that than like me. Dull, super organized Becky. I think this is what's known as adolescence. Just think of it sort of like um like a like a Jaws ripoff or a slasher film where every six or seven minutes there's a shoplifting scene. <laughs> and in between that you, you sort of get all her life. And it's it's exactly the kind of thing you'd expect. You know, it's like, I don't know about you going out with that boy on a motorcycle. That's dangerous. And and like, why are you flirting with Cheryl? Oh God. You know, and, and Karen's got so many troubles and they all have so many troubles. But every few minutes they go and they shoplift something. And you see it several times they do an interesting thing where you see like someone is about to catch her, but then something happens that lets her go free. And her friend and Becky says, how long are you going to do this until you get caught? Uh, spoiler. Yes. The, the, the episode goes along and you sort of build the, um, uh, the sort of, off again, on again, romance with this basketball guy that she really likes, but she's really she she doesn't seem quite ready for whatever it is he wants. Is a jockey basketball kind of guy, and Cheryl, like I said, has her moves, and her friend Trisha is all about like let's go to the mall and grab some more stuff and steal some more stuff. And Beck, I'm sorry, uh, Karen's sister, little sister, little little uh, younger sister is like, where'd you get all these clothes? And mom and dad are like, where is she getting all those clothes? We give her like five bucks a week for allowance that she doesn't have a job, and she just apparently bought six pairs of designer jeans that cost $30 a piece. I don't think that math adds up. Oh, don't worry about it, dear. And it kind of goes in like that and builds and builds to you get to a point where her and her basketball boyfriend have a um, an argument. Uh, it's not pleasant. And then she goes to the mall one more time with Trisha. And I'll just leave you hanging there. What might happen that last time she goes to the mall and steals a bracelet? But that's that's basically it. That, that's it. Portrait of a Teenage uh, Shopler. It's it's sort of the a few um, weeks in the life of a of a like a sixteen ish year old gal who also happens to have a problem stealing. Thank you. Good night. I think a better summation would be like it's the Jaws two, of teenage shoplifting oh, yes. films. Yeah. <laughs> Of teenage yes, films. Yes, yeah, that yes. sounds about right. Okay. So um, I have seen this episode several times. I saw it when it originally aired. I was about 10, I think. And oh. I was really, really, really blown away by it. I never forgot it. I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. And for years and years and years, I looked for it. And I didn't remember the ending. I just remembered that every time she stole something, I thought she got cooler. And so I assumed that was kind of what you were supposed to do. Like stealing will make you cooler because then you can afford all the things, you know, that you couldn't afford with your money because you don't make enough. And so so it probably had the wrong impact on me as a kid. Uh, I never stole clothes. Oh, that's a lie. I mostly stole music. Oh yeah, I mostly stole music when I was a teenager because cassettes were really okay. easy to lift. And um, and so I did that. I did steal some clothes with a girlfriend of mine because she was really thin. And so she would wear extra baggy clothes and she would go into the dressing room. And then I, w I worked at a clothing store. And I would hand her the clothes and she would put them on and then put her baggy clothes on over it mm. and then leave. And then we would have new clothes. I'm, I'm writing this down. <laughs> so <laughs> I should, probably shouldn't be admitting to any of that. I didn't do it often, but I did it enough. My, um, I did have a friend who was so good at shoplifting that I actually never saw her lift anything. And we would leave stores and then she would hand me earrings, cassettes. 
things like that. And I wouldn't have even seen them leave the store. So like it happened. It did happen. I don't think I was as bad as Karen. Uh, and we could talk about why Karen did what she did. I have some ideas about that. But um, let's first of all, just get some thoughts on that. Obviously, I love this special. Uh, apparently, I loved it so much that I used it as a freaking blueprint. And luckily, I never got caught. And luckily, my shoplifting era was like literally like a two-year window periodically. It wasn't nearly as... She's like addicted to it. So we're talking about deeper issues here. But um, anyway, Nate, had you ever seen this before? No, no. This was the first time that I'd seen this one. And? No, I really liked it. I did uh, think to myself that maybe it should have been called um, Portrait of an Impatient Teenage Shoplifter because she was being very impatient with that jewelry store worker. That's right. I mean, the, the woman was having to answer the phone, deal with another customer, and yes. she just keeps going, miss, miss. Yes. And I, I'd be like, if you don't stop, my goodness. But yeah, she <laughs> wants that bracelet that badly that she ends up in bracelets. Ooh, wasn't that the tagline in the TV nice. Guide ad? Nice. <laughs> was it? I don't know. No, I just wasn't. thought it was cool, so I'm like, oh, I'm saying it. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it was uh, from the description when I was reading the description, it was pretty much what I expected it to be. Although, I uh, honestly, and we got to talk about the ending to this because I have some serious questions. Okay. <laughs> uh, so, spoiler, spoiler, everyone. Um, yes, she gets caught, which I kind of think we all expected to happen. But what I was confused about is. She's an underage teenager that was caught shoplifting. I mean, is she really going to go to prison? That seems pretty harsh. That, that was kind of the thought I had, too. Yeah, we can go through that when we get to the, like, actually and talking the about strip the strip search? Is oh, that, I know. Yes, it just seems so excessive. I think it was just meant as a heavy deterrent. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, since we're here, let's just talk about it. Because, like, the bars just go across, like, her sitting in the cell, and then that's it. That's it. The credits yeah. roll and you're like, what's yeah. going to happen to Karen? But like even her parents come and they're like, we'll pay for whatever she stole. And the police officer is like, well, you know, it's going to have to go on her record. And then they're like, this is going to ruin her chance at college. And this is going to affect yeah. her for the rest of her life. And the cops like shrug shoulders. And yeah. oh, well, oh, well, she shouldn't have stole. And I guess that was meant to get people like myself who watched it. To not do it. But then, of course, people like myself who have very selective memory, we just chop that part of our brain out. And then <laughs> the memory of that. And then we just think about how she wore these really amazing high neck blouses and like headbands and really great designer jeans. And then we think, I want to do that. Isn't, isn't that one of the things, though, like when the when the when the the woman in the prison says, OK, strip down, I'm going to check out your clothes and I'm going to check out you take off that scarf first or something like that. Like this nice scar kicky scarf that she has on. Do you think that's meant to be like, um, sort of like that you stole that and we're going to start stripping you from there down or of something. All like the stuff that. you've stolen. What if that's everything she wore was stolen? <laughs> that's be, all going to go back. Fantastic. That's it. That's the more humiliation on top of humiliation. And she's got those little inventory control tags on everything. She's yeah. like, you wear underpants <laughs> with that tag. Doesn't it go off every time you go to store? And why does Trisha get away with all of it? She was the bad influence. I was going to say, I'm, I, I was trying to come up with um, a, 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 like a term for um, like this where one person starts it, but then gets away scot-free. I was going to call it like 
the madman trope or something, you know, like the kid <laughs> madman who yells, yeah, yeah. madman Mars, and then he gets away scot-free in the end of the movie. You know, that's what that reminded me of. Like, Trisha is the one who does it, but Karen is the one who suffers. And Trisha even has a look on her face. Like, I think Trisha is not going to – Trisha sees her friend get arrested – and I think Trisha's not going to shoplift anymore. Although I also think Trisha probably has a bag full of stuff that she's going to walk right out with yeah. when her friend is getting arrested. I could see that. I mean, I was just hoping that Becky would um, take that niceness she had in this movie to camp. But apparently she didn't. <laughs> no, she did not. She, did not. she was hardened by this, seeing her friend yes. with the strip searching and all the other crap that happened to her. My friend's life and was, was ruined thinking... over a bracelet. <laughs> I was thinking, of course, you know, Joe Spinell plays a door guard in this. That's right. <laughs> you get out of here, right? And I was like, Joe Spinell, you're not going to bust anybody for shoplifting. You scout people. <laughs> you're going to murder them. You girls, I want to see you smile. And I'd like a little closer look at your hair, please. Are you using too much conditioner in there? Please, let me have a look. So so we're kind of getting off our structure because we haven't gotten to... Yeah, sorry. To, sorry. That's okay. Not that's sweet. okay. But this is fine. Um, Now it's not going to be as funny because now I've got to build it up to something. But like when they go up to the door guard played by Joe Spinnell, it wouldn't have been funny if he had said instead of asking them to smile because it looks like he's going to bust them because he's like, you're not leaving the store. And they're like, we're not. And he's like, no, you need to smile first. But wouldn't it have been funnier if he said, I'm going to the Cannes Film Festival, Ma? Yes. <laughs> That and Caroline Monroe walked by in the background. Yeah, Caroline Monroe is the one of the one of the women that works at the store, and that's why he's there. Yeah, that would have been a much better film. This was eighty one, so it was only what like a year or so after they made Maniac. So it wasn't yeah. like you know the world wasn't like oh that guy. Oh, Maniac. Everyone hated Maniac when it came out. Yeah, but it's funny that he starred in a movie and then had literally had like four lines in like this, like a year later, because uh, it just blows my mind because he's such a great actor. He believed in it. He did. He He was very good as the door guard, I have to tell you. Yeah, it's Uh, very believable. (laughs) I was scared as hell. Yeah, I, I was every was time. Yeah, every time I see him. It's like when I met David Hess and I was like, I love to all a good night. And he's like, you do? And I was like, maybe. Because he scared me. Okay, so uh, Dan, what did you think of uh, Teenage of a? I'm sorry, Teenage of a Portrait. Teenage of a Portrait. Thank you. Let's enjoy Teenage of a Portrait. Portrait teenager. Portrait um, of a teenage uh, um, shoplifter. What did you think? I um I I liked it. You know what I I um I I liked it more the second time I watched it. Um, just because the first time I got really nervous when they were, whenever mm. they were in the store. Yeah. Because each time they were in a store shoplifting, it was slightly. Uh, they, they were doing slightly something slightly like this time they were on camera. This time an employee was watching them. Now I'm not saying it's like say um, Sam Raimi's The Quick and the Dead, where like every gunfight is shot in a different manner. But this is kind of uh, like that, and I got really nervous. And after a time, I was just like, just arrest her, please. I can't have this. <laughs> You're like sweating. <laughs> Yes, yes. The, 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 but also the first time I watched it, I, I applauded the fact that they do a thing, which to me is a very sort of horror movie thing, which is like, um, I'm, I, I, I'm not going to mention Final Exam, but I just did, that thing where you you spend so much time with a character, and you, you show their life, and you show Karen's life, and yes, she's shoplifting, and yes, she has all these other problems, and, and yes... 
I guess she's a dancer, if that's what you call what she was doing. It looks like she was flopping <laughs> out on stage. Yeah. But but it's it's just the way they do it where they, they sort of build her life to the point where she's like, I don't know what to do anymore. I don't know where to go. And and her friend says, Hey, you're just we're all just growing up. It's it's just life. And then she gets arrested and it ends with this is going on her permanent record. She may be going to jail. And who's and it just the door slams and it's over. And it's very it's very horror movie to me. Like you've been following a character and enjoying the character, and then all of a sudden, in like five minutes, everything is hauled away, and nothing that you watched um, kind of matters anymore because this is the only thing that matters right here. A good point of comparison. Sorry, just because you said final exam, but while you were describing it, it, it instantly made me think of the Dorm the Drip Blood. Oh, of course. Perfect. Same same yes. kind of structure, right? So yes, yes, and obviously with the end of the Dorm the Drip Blood, it's it's a little bit different from well, the end. It's of darker, final but it it ends really badly for like the person we've been following around, and you're kind of not expecting that. So. Like it's sort of, I guess you could say the same about Madman, right? Because we're sort of following Gaylene Ross's character around and it doesn't end well for her either. Uh, I'm not going to watch it again, I don't (laughs) think. Um, But it it was interesting. I thought they did a nice job with it. I I do like seeing Joe Spinell was great. And like I said, some of the scenes in the store were nicely done. And um, I really love the one nerdy thing I liked is that it's 1981. They went into an arcade, and this is like, and the arcade is all pinball machines. That's right. Six months or so later, it would be all like Pac-Man and Asteroids, and it would be all video games, and pinball machines would be like stuck in a corner. But this is like that little period where like, and there's a disco pinball game. So it's like it's in that that period where we're still it's all pinball games, and we still kind of love disco a little bit. But in a few months, that's all gone. Yeah. So, so it's it's kind of nice, and I, yeah, I I liked I I didn't love it. Um, I'll I'll be honest. Um, don't uh, don't let my dog hear it because he thinks I am a paragon of virtue. But yes, I did shoplift a long long time ago. Not like yesterday. Like I wasn't out yesterday doing it. A long long time ago, I did, and I did mainly like CDs, mm. and I did get caught. <gasps> and, what happened? Um, well, if if you if if we want to talk about, do we want to talk about what happens to her in more detail? Oh, sure, but I want to hear this. We are not letting this go, Dan. Um, but oh, I guess sure. we compare the ending. So let's let's go through this. And first, of, so Nate, have you ever shoplifted? Um, I think when I was a little kid, I took candy or something, <laughs> but I don't think hey. I did as an adult. I mean, I I don't know. I, I don't remember like taking anything like tapes or anything like that that was a dumb teen yeah i don't know why i did it i mean i guess i just wanted stuff that i couldn't afford and well and you saw a portrait of a teenage shoplifter and i, saw, yeah. <laughs> and I was inspired tips. by television yes that's right but like i actually almost got caught once i thought because mm. do you remember cassettes used to come in those like long casings plastic, uh, you plastic yeah. holders and then they would pop it out of the plastic thing and then you get the little tiny cassette that was inside it and that was deter you from shoplifting but mm-hmm. what i did was i had a big purse so i'd stick it in the purse but the purse was only big enough to just barely get the plastic thing in it and oh. so we would kind of stick out like you could kind of see by the shape of my purse that something was in there that was big and mm. i was stealing vacation the go-go's vacation and sure, um yeah. and i think one other cassette probably had on the door by the cure and um because i remember stealing oh, wow. those yeah i remember stealing those and um and i was at a record store in the mall and um this 
employee came up to me and started talking to me. And I thought for sure they saw me steal the cassettes. We talked for like a minute and then I left the store and nothing ever came of it. And um, I'm not sure why that was, but in retrospect, it was really scary. It was scary when it happened. That might've been one of the last times I shoplift, but I actually used to keep hedge clippers under my bed so I could pop off the, um, I could cut the plastic box out, you know, get the cassette out. And um, yeah, I was good. I was good. I was prepared. But anyway, uh, so one of the things I like about this special, um, and we've already hit a lot of the high points, is that everything that you described in your synopsis, Dan, is is what she was going through was very basic, manageable teenage stuff, unless you're not somebody who knows how to manage their stuff, right? So it's like she's got boy problems. She's not concentrating on her studies, which part of it is like this dance class that she's in. That's a very hard dance class to get into, and she's just not practicing at night and and so she's she's got parents that kind of bug her a lot and all these are things that in retrospect don't seem like that big of a deal but when you're 16 and you are kind of insecure I think that they become really big things especially the love interest Pete Crawford is the character's name Alan Fawcett is the actor who played him and the fact that uh pete was such a popular kid and showed interest in her but then she instantly had competition which she also showed interest in i think kind of put her in like a tailspin and you know what i've been there i get it so like for me i feel like the way that they they drew out the life and i kind of like that they spent time with her because when i was thinking about what we would talk about on this episode i wondered why they didn't follow trisha's life too because trisha's obviously troubled she's the instigator of it and i think they're trying to show that a lot of shoplifting is rooted in other problems and that's why you do it it's not so much you want the scarf it's that your life is out of control and the one thing you can't control is taking something for yourself right that makes you feel good it's like eating or like drinking it's like any addiction right so like um so like I thought that was really interesting and so in retrospect I'm thinking it's probably better they didn't fall Trisha around because Karen is the more sympathetic of the two and that they wanted to spend a lot of time kind of having us walk with her in like these very typical teenage moments uh, probably the biggest one being when she goes to a school dance with Pete and um, she brings him home when her parents aren't home and he's really ready to take the next step. Mm. And not just heavy petting. He wants to, I think, have sex the with business, her. business, yeah. Yeah, and then it kind of spirals out of control for her after that because he's only interested to a point, I think, um, in her attention if she's not going to go all the way. <laughs> oh, you <can>. <laughs> <laughs> <God>. <laughs> What is it with you? I don't know. It's just going too fast. Too fast? Yes. Can't you just give me a chance? What's that supposed to mean? Well, can't we just be together? I mean, do we have to sleep with each other? What's wrong with that? I'm just not ready. Oh, man. I don't believe this. I mean, when are you going to grow up? When I'm ready. Why are you trying to make me do something I don't want to do? Listen, it was your idea to leave the dance. You're the one who wanted to come here, not me. All you care about is yourself. You don't care about me, how I feel. Look, this just isn't going to work out. And so I think that was like a decision that she made because in her heart she believed it wasn't right, but then the consequences were really difficult for her. And so I thought that that was a really great 
point. And I really love the writing of this episode. And maybe because I'm a girl and because I saw it when I was 10 and because I I think in a lot of ways I saw myself and Karen that I kind of think that this is a really particularly good after school or I should say CBS uh, play break. But um, I can understand why other people might not. I don't know. What did you guys think of the? Did you think it was too mundane or did you like uh, walking in her shoes, Nate? Um, I didn't really find it that mundane, honestly, because I felt like a lot of the things that happened just there was there was a lot of aside from the ending which i don't find realistic i did find a lot of her interactions very realistic you know there's like the the scene where you know pete gets mad because you know she kind of intimates that you know she's gonna go further with him um and then she kind of backs off because she's not ready and of course he's you know uh, a teenage guy and he gets uh, really angry because i guess he thought that she wanted something else, but I mean, I just felt like following like her and her storyline, even like her ballet stuff, it, it, it really developed a great three dimensional character rather yeah. than you just seeing a one dimensional character that, you know, you're just sort of like, oh, well, they ruined their life. At the end, when she's crying, I actually felt really bad for her. Yeah, you know, it's funny what you say about the dancing, because Maureen Teefee was on Fame, and I think she's actually a really good dancer, and I was thinking she must be a terrific dancer to play such a bad dancer <laughs> in this special, because she's horrible. And, yeah. and I think a really good dancer can make really horrible dancing look realistic. Do you know what I mean? Because it's not over yes. the top. It's just she keeps missing like her pirouette or whatever. I don't know enough about dance to like name the steps. But like she's just a little off. And so like I thought she did a terrific job. And I don't know if part of the reason why Maureen Teefee got the part was because she could dance really well. And then they thought that that would look more realistic. I'm not really sure. I haven't really seen her in much. So um, I'm not I'm not positive of that. But I'm glad you brought that part up. It's one of my favorite parts because like she's just like not doing it you know what i mean but you can tell she knows how to do it she just can't like she's not yeah. keeping up with her studies but anyway i didn't mean to cut you off Nate. no no and actually i'm glad you said that because that was the one thing that the teacher even tells her is that it's not that i think for the teacher it's not even that she's bad necessarily it's that she's not even making an effort to be better yeah you know and she of course you know when you're a teenager everything feels like the end of the world so um, you know, when all this stuff's going wrong in her life, I mean, she, I think that she looks at shoplifting as just a way to kind of get a, a rush, a thrill, almost sort of like a drug addiction. Yeah. It's like, I think it would, it would become mm, yes, an addiction for yes. her. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, Dan, what did you think about following her day to day? I think you brought up a really great comparison I, about like how you stay with her and then the ending gets really dark to like, uh, the unconventional slashers, like final exam and the dorm, the drip blood. But what else did you think about it? The the thing I, I liked about her dancing was maybe not her dancing, but, um, because there, there are a couple moments where she's like up on stage and she like goes in the air and she, I don't know the terms either. And she hits the ground. It's like, okay, I could do that. And I'm an idiot. Yeah, I don't think you're doing that. Right. Um, but there is, there's a moment I really like. And which to me is very much reminded me of my sweet parents, which was when her mom like opens the door to her room uh, to to Karen's room, and Karen is like stretching and doing little dance things in front of her mirror, and the mom says something like, uh, "What are you doing? I'm just doing my dancing, Ma. Well, are you gonna do your homework? This is my homework." And mom gives her a look like, "I don't think so," and then goes <laughs> out the door. You all right? I'm fine. What about your homework? This is my homework. I, I recognize that mom. 
thing right there where it's like, yeah, that is her homework. Actually, that's maybe maybe it's it's you leaning in whenever she's, you know, when if you're downstairs and you hear her bouncing around on the ceiling, you know, and you go up there and you sort of give her that look. Maybe that's stopping her from dancing. I don't know what it is. I I like following her around. I mean, I didn't um, didn't find it to be the most um, enthralling stuff however i i knew what they were up to and i knew where they i where they were going so so i i was i was i was sort of in the pocket for most of it here and, and like i said i mean the i i you know i i like was it i like becky trisha not so thrilled on her boyfriend <laughs> yeah i don't know if i liked him or not he I guess he's a good-looking guy, right? Um, uh, yeah, I mean, he's guy. like a blonde Lance Guest. We'll talk a little bit about Alan Fawcett. Yeah. I mean, he's not as hot yeah. as that, but he came from a soap yeah. opera. He was doing Loving at the time that oh, he wow. made this, and he was actually in his mid-20s. He was about 26. Oh, wow. And um, and he, uh, we'll talk a little bit about him in the little trivia section because I know a little bit about Alan Fawcett um, from his work in the 80s. But, uh, yeah, like, but all the characters were very different. But um, what did we think yeah. of Cheryl? Can we talk a little bit about Cheryl? Because one of my favorite moments, and I wish I could remember the dialogue better, but is that part where um, Karen is putting on her makeup and then Cheryl, who is the girl that's sort of competing with her for Pete, comes over and she's like, oh, do you wear that much makeup all the time or something like that? And she, and then and then Karen looks really upset. And she's like, it was not like you look bad. It's just, I don't think I was allowed to wear makeup when I was a junior. Have a nice time with Pete last night? Mm-hmm. He's an interesting guy, isn't he? I guess so. That wasn't the first time you wore makeup, was it? Of course not. I mean, it looked fine. It's just that when I was in 11th grade, I don't think I was allowed to wear makeup. I'm going to miss the bus. Bye. Like she, the way she says it is great. like a yeah, yeah. yeah like a dig, but then she like covers it up, and everything that Cheryl's character does is like a dig covered up with really yes. niceness. And she's and I kind of wish the movie had been about Cheryl because <laughs> oh, I loved her. So, she's yeah, so amazing. Yeah. She and she's like just dancing. She's like everything she does is like a dance. Like she's a way better dancer than Karen. And like yes. they're both cheerleaders, right? And so, but but Cheryl is like the cheerleader, and so like her whole life is like a, is like filling in the stereotype of a cheerleader, and she does it really well. But um, so we all loved her, right? Absolutely. <laughs> I especially loved earlier in the movie when she's dancing around um, Pete yes. in her cheerleader outfit. And one of the girls says something about, why don't you just take all her clothes off or strip or something like that? <laughs> <laughs> it's her mating call, right? And yes. one, one of Cheryl's great moves is that thing where you do your, you spin your hands around, like your arms around each other. Do you know, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, like you're doing the mambo or something like yeah. that. It's like, that's not terribly sexy. Um, We get where you're going. It looks like... You should do something from there. But no, I, I like Cheryl when I saw her. I just thought um, uh, it would have been true. Yeah, if I was that guy and Cheryl, like when I was in when I was in high school, my senior year of high school, my sort of senior sweetheart, as it was, uh, she was named Cheryl. So at the hmm. moment I found this gal, I found out this gal was named Cheryl. I thought, well, the Cheryl I went out with, she was a blonde too. She wasn't a cheerleader, but she was um, she was a blonde, kind of looked like sh- that Cheryl. And and so there was something about the way she was dancing where it was like, you know, Karen um, may have, you know, her own special moves with her fun hair and everything. But when Cheryl gets to spin in her arms, and yeah, hey. <laughs> Yeah, what are you going to do, Mr. Guy, who reminded me a little bit occasionally of um, uh, Captain Marvel. Um, I forget his name, the guy in The Prey. Occasionally oh, Jackson he looked Boswick. Like him. Occasionally he looked like him. I see that. 
if you if you look if you give him a good, I, I saw that every once in a while I thought is that Captain Marvel's son? I was gonna say Jeff East from um, you know Deadly Blessings, and he was the he was mm. the teenage Superman in the first Superman okay. movie, and um, he yes. did a lot of stuff. He's in um, we we watched one of his movies. He's the brother in Summer of Fear, the Wes Craven Summer of Fear. Okay, yeah, he reminded me a little bit of Jeff East. Um, yeah, you know Pete's an interesting character too because like he he's so all over Karen. Like, making these jokes and, like, being really sweet to her. And then, like, when he ends up with Cheryl, like, towards the end, he's like, you know, man, it's not like, you know, we're a couple or anything, you know? Yeah. And, like, yeah. he just totally pulls it without ever, like, putting that up front with her at the beginning, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And it, I would have been equally as upset as her. Like, that would have been, a, like, the most devastating moment of my life, you know, <laughs> at that point, at 17 years. It would have been the most devastating moment of my life at... 48 too if it had happened let me tell you but like um but like it's just like he's such an interesting character because i think he comes off at the beginning as a nice guy but i think he loses his facade slowly as the film progresses yes to a degree and it's probably a pretty well-written character actually he, ha he has a bit of that thing that uh you know i well i didn't see personally but i would see with like sort of like jocks and things in like high school and stuff where like they're like the high school I went to, you know, as much as they, you know, told us, well, we're interested in your education. They really love the football players and the basketball players and things like that. And so like the guys who were like the big stars, you know, like they kind of, you know, they were a bit, um, I, I don't want to say they had expectations, but that seems to be what this guy has, uh, which I never had as a nerdy guy who got beat up and pushed into lockers and shoved into toilets and things. When you do, when that happens to you, you have a bit of a different expectation, but I think it's just that sort of jock thing where it's like, Hey, you know, he doesn't want to say it, you know, but it's like, Hey, I'm, I'm the head basketball guy. All the ladies love sweet Jeff. Was that his name? No, Although I could do an acronym for that. Oh, what? I, yes, yes, sir. But that's, that's kind of what I saw. Yeah. With his character, he starts off like talking about his motorcycle and, you know, uh, I think the first time we see him, uh, Karen's being really goofy and he goes by on his motorcycle. She's pretending to be like an orangutan or something oh, like right. that. Yeah. And, and so, and he seems to be really, um, uh, kind of a nice guy. But then as we kind of go a little deeper, you kind of see that, you know, there are bunch of gals he's a basketball guy there are a bunch of gals after him and he's he's chosen karen so karen come on come on let's do something here you know not not to sound like a terror i'm that, that's not me saying that that's me <laughs> i'm glad you Do clarified I, that because i was like um, yes please yes. dan we oh, need yeah. to talk yeah yeah no please <laughs> i don't know i really love alan fawcett so but yeah i think he comes kind of jerky at the end and i don't know that's something that i fully recognized till the last time i watched it i think i'm just so into karen's shoplifting that like she does some cold she's got some good moves because isn't there a point where she takes off a pair of jeans and puts on designer jeans and then puts her old jeans in like the somewhere in the dressing room where they're hidden yes yeah she hangs yep yeah. and it's amazing it's amazing she's clearly very good at what she does and i admire her and honestly you're right um she might not have got caught at the end if she hadn't have um ran out so quickly mm -hmm. if she had a little more patience like i yes. said she might have still gotten away with it. She might have. Let's yeah. talk about the ending since um, I think we covered all the major bases. And once you talk about Cheryl, it's downhill. Let's, uh, let's face it. <laughs> but um, we kind of started to get into the ending. Apparently, we were all a little floored by it. So, like, just to, just to uh, recap again. So, she's going somewhere. And you guys had talked about she's with Trisha, right? And, um, and somehow, I can't even remember what happens. Is she being watched on a video camera? 
and she takes something and she's on her way out and she gets stopped by the police and then they drag her in to the police station and then they've got this really really kind of shitty police officer played by William G. Schilling who I normally see in comedies he's like this overweight older guy and um, I'm always kind of like taken aback to see him in this role and then the parents come in and they're trying to clear up everything and they're like we'll pay for everything and you know she'll say she's sorry or whatever and they're like nope we're gonna arrest her and it's going on her credit or her record it's going on her credit it's going on her school credit that'll totally damage her and um and then they're like oh my god that's everything she won't be able to get into college she won't get a job this is her whole life is ruined she'll have to get married and have 10,000 babies with the guy who beats her and then they cut to um her in the jail cell right and the door just like kind of clangs shut and then it's over and I guess in a way it is sort of realistic meaning that I don't know about the strip search and stuff, but meaning that they probably would have taken, if, if they were serious, I don't think all shoplifters who get apprehended get arrested, right? But I, th I think that, like, as a scare tactic, that might happen to some people if they're young enough and they're trying to deter them. They may take them to the jail. I'm guessing in a smaller town. I don't know if you would do that. Like, in New York City, that would be really dangerous. But, like, I could see somebody doing that. So, for me, it wasn't that far from realism, not that I've ever been arrested, luckily, so I don't know what would have happened. But the, it's the fact that it ended on such a downbeat note that it surprised me. And I, and I guess that's why I keep coming back to it. Because when I finally revisited it a couple years later, I was shocked by the ending. And then I thought a lot about it. And so now when I think about the special, I, you know, I think of her shoplifting, but I always think of that last camera shot. And um, but so you guys were shocked by the ending. But did you have any other thoughts on it? I think that was it for me. I think I covered everything that I can think of. Yeah. I, yeah, I think uh, I think I agree with you there that it would be. It's uh, I think they're doing a um, sort of a scare her kind of thing. Although it is like she's going to be there overnight. Yeah, I mean, like she just stole a bracelet. How much was that bracelet? Um, because I know. Uh, don't tell my mom, but I did get caught. This was a long time ago. All right. So don't if you guys tell my mom, I'm gonna, if you tell if you tell if you tell Nana Budnick, there's going to be hell to pay. No, she doesn't hear well anymore. She won't even know what we're talking about. Uh, hi, Nana. Oh, yeah, I was caught um, and uh, it was unpleasant. Um, now, what I was stealing now, this was a long time ago. So my and this is not a memory I delve into a lot, but it was whatever it was I stole was under one hundred dollars, which is petty larceny, right. I think. And so that's not if it was over a hundred, that would have been super trouble. Um, so I was taken. I was handcuffed. I was taken down to the police station. I was fingerprinted. I was photographed. Wow. I was given a court date. They they did that right there. I don't know if, you know, they, it, this was a few years after 1981. So, um, and I was sent away. And then what ha what ended up happening was I went to court. I had a fine to pay um, to the, because it was uh, petty larceny. It was my first time. I had a fine to pay to the court and to the, um, uh, the folks I stole from. Sure. They basically, they sent me a bill basically is what yeah. it was. Um, and then um, I had to do this like six hour course, eight hour course, something like that. Basically it was like a, it was a course that basically said like, don't be a jerk, be a nice guy kind of course. And I had to take it and I had to do a workbook and I had to have proof that I had done it. And then I was free to go. Well, apparently you paid your crime because you became a very nice guy. 
I, I, you know, I'm doing, I'm doing my best here, and I, I feel <laughs> like, I, I, I feel like, unfortunately, I was kind of, sort of like what, what Becky says to Karen, like, how long are you gonna do this until you get caught? And I didn't do it like I wasn't doing it for years or anything like that. I just, I, I guess I wasn't so good at it, but, um, but yeah, I did get caught, and it was, um, it was unpleasant, um, but it wasn't as unpleasant as what Karen has to go through. It, it's never really affected me that badly in my life. You know, I've never, like, you know, years later, like, I've never lost a job because they were like, hey, did you uh, shoplift some CDs a long, long time ago? Uh, yes, I did. You're not getting this job. That's never happened. So I don't know how it works. I don't, you know, as long as it, hasn't come back to haunt me i know it's there but it hasn't come back to haunt me and that i know of actually maybe maybe it has and i didn't know about it but yeah it was um it was very unpleasant and embarrassing when it happened oh i bet it wasn't as bad as what happened to karen um which is one of the things too um like when you get to the end that we're gonna have to strip search you and do this yeah I, it, that seemed a bit much to me, but I also understand that they're really pouring it on. So the kids who, you know, have come home from school and have had a really long day and, you know, they're like, hey, I'm going to watch Father Knows Best in the Adams Family. Ooh, let me watch this portrait of a teenage shoplifter instead. Shit, I should have watched Father Knows Best in Adams Family instead because now I feel terrible. But, yeah, I don't, I don't, I... It all depends too, I guess. I guess like by by um, sort of what state it is, or because I know like a friend of mine who also um, shoplifted. Um, he was caught about a year later, and he had a much more of a fine and much more of sort of a punishment than I did. So I think they like have times when they crack down on it more. Yeah. So I think I may have just been lucky. I was just there in a point where you're like, uh, some another dumbass kid stealing shit. Okay, man, just pay this fine, do this course, get the hell out of here. <laughs> you know, but but there are other times where it's like, okay, you got to do a lot. Because he was like, I remember him, like, I hadn't seen this guy for like a year or two. And I was like, what's going on? He said, oh, I got caught shoplifting. I was like, oh, I'm sorry. What's happening? And the stuff he told me was like, that's crazy. They didn't have me do half of that. And so oh, he worked at yeah. a rock quarry. He, yes, exactly. Exactly. He worked in the quarry and then he wound up like on a chain gang and it was wacky. It was like, <laughs> take, the, take the money and run when Woody Allen and all of them escape from the yeah. quarry and they're all, you know, shackled together. It was fun. It was fun. But, it was worth but yeah, it. so that, that, that was my, um, my story. And, um, I'm still slightly ashamed of it, but I'm glad I could step forward and share it with the made for TV mayhem audience who are probably all sitting around going, you're an idiot, Dan, but Hey, it happens. It happens. I'm almost positive that some of the people listening have done it too. When, when you're teenagers, you just never think you're going to get caught and you want things, yeah, you know exactly. what I mean? And yeah. you just act on them and it's stupid. And luckily you, like you, you learn from it. Like I just stopped doing it. I think it scared me too much, but you know, some people, they yes. just keep doing it and then, and it destroys their life. But that did not happen here. And it's really, really oh. nice to have a Dan confesses instead of Amanda confesses for once because <laughs> for once. 
It's getting really embarrassing. Um, so anyway, let me give you some background on Portrait of a Teenage Shoplifter, an episode that I think we all liked, although I think maybe Nate and I liked it slightly more than Dan, probably because Dan was having like these crazy PTSD flashbacks. flashbacks. Yeah. <laughs> that now it makes sense. Okay. So uh, this episode was shot in Paramus, New Jersey at, at the high school, the local high school there. The filming began in July. It lasted for 10 days. Other films being shot in and around New York at the time were the TV movie senior trip and for ladies only which we both uh which both were covered on our show already um one of the uh people who wrote the teleplays named deborah baker this is her only writing credit which kind of surprised me so oh it wasn't on loving alan fawcett was starring in edge of night at the time of production um his casting made the newspapers because he was a very popular character and it, it stipulated that he was about 26 i think when he did this episode he would later become the host of the lip sync contest putting on the hits do you remember putting on the hits guys yes yeah, he was the host. Do you remember? Uh, my, oh, I love that show. So I, I did think too. The, I think the first time I saw that, I was like, um, so, uh, a family member of mine was in the hospital. He had gotten badly beaten after shoplifting. I'm kidding. No, <laughs> a, uh, a, a, there was a family member in the hospital, and we were all sitting around just hanging out with him as he was in the bed. And all of a sudden, the show came on called Putting on the Ritz, and there was a woman who looked like Dolly Parton, then like a guy who looked like Michael Jackson. And we just sat there going what the hell is this? And we loved it so much. And I think for my sister and myself, it was like our favorite TV show for about six months. Yeah. Oh, I loved it. Did you ever see it, Nate? I think it's a little before your time. No, I never saw it. It was great. It was just a lip syncing contest. And the the most infamous person to come out of it, and I don't know if Dan remembers this person, was a, I think it was a man. And he painted half his face to look like Lionel Richie and the other half to look like Diana Ross. And so half his costume would be a dress and the other half would be a tuxedo. One half would have like a mustache and the other half had long hair coming down. And he would lip sync Endless Love. And he would turn his head like to face the audience depending on who was doing the singing. So if it was Diana Ross, he would be facing the audience with the Diana Ross side. And then he would flip over to the Lionel Richie side. And he would do Lionel Richie's part of Endless Love. And when I was a kid, that was like the coolest thing I'd ever seen. I just thought he was like the coolest. And um, and so I remember Alan Fawcett very well from that series. And I was surprised to find that he was actually an actor first. And I discovered he was an actor because I got really hooked on Quincy. And the very last episode of Quincy is kind of like a pilot spinoff about like a hospital that deals with like trauma victims or something. And Alan Fawcett plays a construction worker whose arm gets ripped off in a construction accident and they reattach it and they somehow get it to work again but i okay that's a lie i wasn't re-watching quincy i was watching quincy in its original run because then later on i had it so i mixed up like a movie and that episode of quincy because i have a very distinct memory in my head of something that doesn't exist a quincy episode where a guy gets his arm ripped off it gets reattached and the hand is possessed that never oh. <laughs> that never happened on Quincy, oh. but in my mind, I can see Klugman taking in charge of that. Yeah. yeah, in my mind, that was the final episode of Quincy, and then I rewatched Quincy, and that episode finally came. I watched it in order, and I got to the last episode, and I was like, "That's not exactly what happened on that episode." So, um, anyway, so that's Alan Fawcett for you. Um, he was pretty big in the eighties. I think he still works. I'm not positive of that. Um, like I said, Marine Tiffy appeared in Fame. She was also in the ABC After School Special Dinky Hawker with Wendy Jo Sperber, which is excellent if you ever get a chance to see it. Um, production began in September. I'm unsure of the dates. Oh, here I put July. Oh, I have two different dates here. Oh, I see why. Because um, the newspaper started printing articles about Alan Fawcett's casting in September. So um, he made the newspapers 
because he was famous enough. And I think at the time that he did this episode and him um, doing Edge of Night, I think he his character actually left Edge of Night and then like two weeks passed and then he showed up on this. So he, he I think he was trying to expand his career out of soaps at this point. So, of course, we kind of alluded to it, but we didn't full out say that Kathleen Commie would eventually appear in Sleepaway Camp as M.E.G. Meg. She also appeared in Yay. the after school. <laughs> she was also in the after school special Terrible Things My Mother Told Me. Yeah, I was just like you, Dan. It took me like the entire hour to figure out who she was. Yes. And she's also playing a really nice person in this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was also fully shocked that there were actors who did other things before Sleepaway Camp and Sleepaway Camp, aside from the, <laughs> the Mike Kellen guy, because they yeah, all seem like, like whatever you, whenever you see Mel in something, you're like, Mel? Yeah. <laughs> but um, but I, I didn't think that any of them had a filmography prior to Sleepaway Camp, so I was really surprised. And she's done a lot of stuff. She has a pretty good career, it turns out. But um, I was really thrilled uh, to see her in this, playing somebody totally different. And that's my background for Portrait of a Teenage Shoplifter. So why don't we go ahead and just move into the CBS School Break special, The Drug Knot, which aired on CBS September 10th, 1986. The Drug Knot. Uh, this one's going to be um, uh, pretty easy as far as um, uh, everything, as far as my um, plot breakdown goes. Oh, uh, one thing, Mr. Toma, his first name is Dave? David, is I think, right? yeah. David Toma, okay. Um, for some reason, I didn't write it down. I just have, I have in big block letters in my notebook, Toma. The Drug Knot is, it basically is about, it's set in high school. It's set in the vicinity of May 23rd. So whatever year this is, it's May 23rd, which is only a couple days after my birthday. Happy birthday to me. It's about Doug and Lori. Doug is a saxophone player, and being a jazz guy, he loves smoking a little bit of the doobie. <laughs> the first time we see him, yeah, he, he and Lori meet up in the boys' locker room, and he plays her a little um, uh, little little saxophone, and they, they smoke a little fun stuff. And kind of a coach comes in like, Doug, knock it off. Quit this. What happens is that Lori is with Doug and is smoking pot because I I, I, I feel more or less like she, she does that because that's what he does. Yeah. And, but Doug, unfortunately, Doug is getting some harder stuff. He's getting into cocaine. I think he could be selling some of it. I, I, I may have just made that up, however. But he's getting into some harder stuff. And and he has a, a lot like Karen. He has very similar parents. And instead of a little sister who keeps getting into his business, he has a little brother who is played by an actor we all know and love, who we will talk about shortly. And Doug is yes, sort of getting deeper into the drugs. And Lori is beginning to get worried. And then Dave Toma shows up. And we will we we will definitely talk about who he is. <laughs> yes. But if you know if you know your seventies cop shows, you will know who he is. And Dave Toma is basically it's it's interesting because the the whole of the the episode is fictional apart from this large sort of figure in the center of it who is completely non-fictional. So it makes it for a very interesting hmm. um, viewing experience. But Dave Toma is a guy who he does, he he was a cop and he, he basically goes from school to school talking about drug addiction and stuff like that, trying to get kids off drugs, trying to get parents involved, uh, more involved in the lives of their kids. And as Doug is sort of getting deeper into his addiction, um, uh, uh, Mr. Toma is giving his 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 presentation, and Lori goes to Mr. Toma and basically says, "Hey, you know my boyfriend's like this." And they basically what it is is it's Lori with the assistance of Mr. Toma trying to 
get Doug's parents involved and trying to get Doug out of drugs before something dangerous happens. Talk to me, please, talk to me. Um, my boyfriend and I have been smoking pot for a while, you know, and everything was fine, but I don't know, lately it's just different. He's just, he's acting crazy and I don't know what to do about it. He's, he's, he's doing coke now. What's his name? Doug. Let's not worry about Doug right now. Let's worry about you, Lori. Let's change your life. Let's turn your life around. But you got to have courage to change, and I'm going to show you how to do it. Yeah, but he just he expects me to do it with him, and I'm afraid that if, if I don't, that he's not going to love me anymore. Honey, he doesn't know love right now. He's in love with the drug. The drug is his lady. He doesn't know you right now. He's getting off on the drug he's doing. And he wants to get high with somebody because misery loves company. And he wants you to get high with him. We're going to teach you how to love. But what We're going to I... teach him. Can you get him here tonight? No, he just, he won't listen to me anymore. He fights me all the time about it. All right, let me ask you. Do you know his parents? Yeah. I want you to go home right now and tell his parents what he's doing. I want you to tell him he's into drugs. I can't. You've though. got to tell him, sweetheart. You're not helping him this way. But I'm afraid. He's killed. I know you're afraid. And I'm afraid with you, and I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you. If you heard our description of the previous episode, I don't know if it's a spoiler to say something dangerous might happen. But that's sort of the very basics of it, is it's Doug's on drugs, his girlfriend is trying to stop him and enlist the help of an actual real-life person to try to help him out before something bad happens. And that's those are the very basics of the drug knot. So it's interesting. I never actually thought of the meta element of it, to be honest, about David Toma playing himself amongst all these fictionalized characters. And it's interesting because the um, the speech he gives was his speech. Like, they didn't script that part of it. They let David Toma do what David Toma does, which Same is go way. to schools and talk to people about drugs. And the audience is really interesting. There's a girl in the audience, if I can remember to clip a picture of her, her hair. Oh, my God. And um, she was me in high school. It was like it was really hard to look at her. And she comes back because David Toma comes and speaks twice. He comes in the morning and then he does his talk and then he comes in the afternoon or in, I should say the early evening when um, he's expecting some of the students to bring their parents back. Because the whole point is that it's like a family thing. If you're doing drugs, then the family needs to get involved. And, and the reason why you're probably doing drugs is probably rooted in issues you're having with your family. Right. And so like but one of the things that David Toma does that I'm thinking David Toma kills people because while he's giving the speech he'll say he'll say i went to the school and i met this boy two weeks later he was dead and then he'll talk about another student and he'll say yeah you know he came and asked me some questions three weeks later dead that kid was dead so he's always telling these stories about how he so he's not helping anybody he's killing people as far as i'm concerned i walked over to kid like this i said oh my god son what are you doing what are you doing? You're all burnt out, all of you. I want you to see this. I want to show you what he did. Did you ever see this? He got a tissue like this. He put it up his left nostril like this and took it out the right side. You know why? The coke! had decayed everything in here. It rotted it away. He needed an operation bad, but they couldn't operate. You want to know why? 
Two weeks after I left the school, he committed suicide. He hung himself. I, I was I was going to say that in my plot breakdown, but I, I was going to say that he's one of those guys where he's like, you know, I'm here and I'm talking to all these beautiful girls. Yes, right. And they're all on drugs. And I'm trying to help him out. And I'm talking to one guy and he's shaking. And then two hours later, he was dead. <laughs> and and, 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 and this, oh, he's just telling all these stories when this happens. And it was like my wife watched um, uh, a minute of him. And she knows people like him from like where she grew up and stuff. She's like, oh, the, the way he just says beautiful. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> it's, it's, he's, he's great because at, at first he's he's a bit overbearing but you can see that he's actually very sincere. Yeah. And that really, that really um, is, is affecting, I think, when you watch it. Yeah, you know, I had to watch this a couple times to fully appreciate it. The first time I watched it, I really got caught up in the histrionics. And we'll talk about some of the scenes here. But <laughs> yeah. we don't want to diminish anything that David Toma has done with his life. Because this is like a really incredible person. And if you're listening to this and you've never heard of the show Toma or Beretta, which was the show that came after, which is based Please. on him as well. And that he was he was when cops were considered good guys because we're now living in this other world now. But like he was somebody who was who was doing a lot of good things. And and, and he turned from being a cop and arresting people to trying to reform people before they got too far and got arrested was what David Toma did with his life. And I believe he's still with us. And I really appreciate what he did. But there's certain things about this episode that are like really insane because he's really like loud. And and some of the people that he like corners in the office are like very hysterical and I wasn't really sure how to under you know like the first time I saw it I was like I'm not sure what I'm looking at but I came to fully appreciate it but before I start asking you guys what you thought of it and stuff one thing I want to kind of hit on because we're going to probably mention a lot of these people as we go on is this cast is ridiculously famous and um and they're all great actors but so Dermot Maroney plays Doug who is the drug addict that stars in it his girlfriend is played by Tracy Nelson who at the time would have done square pegs um and would go on to Melrose Place and all kinds of neat stuff uh Rance Howard um who is Ron Howard's father plays the principal which was fantastic Dave Faustino plays Doug's little brother Louie um the parents are played by Mary Ellen Trainer, who is probably most recognized to horror fans as um the first episode of Tales from the Crypt, she's in the Christmas episode, All Around the House. Is that what it's oh, called? My favorite yeah. episode. Yeah, that's oh, her. I love that. And love I think that. she was wow. married to Zemeckis or something at the time. She died kind of young. It's kind of tragic. Um, mm. But she's really yeah, good I in this. Yeah, was sad about him. Yeah. And, um, and Lawrence Pressman, who's one of my all-time favorite actors, plays the father. And Lawrence Pressman, I guess, for me... It would be hard for me to tell you what he's famous for. He was in Doogie Howser. He was one of the older doctors that starred on the show. But he was also in um, the Hellstrom Chronicles. Have either one of you guys seen that? That bug documentary? No. I just watched that a week ago. I have that on Blu-ray. I love Documentary Award winner. Yeah. Academy Award. It's amazing. He plays plays Nils Hellstrom, the scientist. Which is weird because it's a documentary, but he's playing a scientist, right? And he's so... It's the screwiest thing. It's it's great. And he's he's super sexy in it. That's where Lawrence Pressman, for me, is all all bets are off in that. But like... um, (laughs) And then we also have Kim Myers from Nightmare on Elm Street 2 as one of the... Meryl Streep looking like... Yes, as one of the girls that goes to seek David Toma for help. So so I just want to kind of let you know that this was a big episode. It was also directed by Anson Williams, who played Potsy Weber. And I'll mention his name in a minute because I don't know it offhand, but this was produced by the guy who produced Scared Straight, which is that famous documentary that was supposed to help people like kind of deter them from committing crimes. And so we're talking about a really big 
kind of cast. And it was made for the CBS School Break special, but it ended up airing in prime time. Yeah. So it, that's how big it was. And that's how, and it came out at a time, we'll go into it in the background, we'll just start talking about the story. But it came out at a time when a lot of the networks were dealing with drug addiction on their programming because it was such a hot topic. I guess maybe Reagan's war on drugs was really kicking the gear at this point. And so it was like everybody was dealing with this topic in some form. And um, this episode was a very sincere, direct effort to kind of bring it to light in a semi-realistic way, probably because of the ending. I think if it didn't have that ending, it might not have been quite as effective as it was for me. But I thought it was really good. Now, I have to say the first time I saw it, it's like you with Teenage Shoplifter. I had to kind of give it a couple of views to fully soak up David Toma because he's such a big personality that I was having a hard time. Like, it just felt really over the top, but it was it, that's David Toma, right? And then, and then the more I thought about the context of it and the more I thought about David Toma and the person that he was, the more I realized that this is actually like a pretty harrowing special and fairly well done um and so uh I, w- I won't diminish it except to say that he's murdered people guys he's every time he goes to a school they die a week later he's yeah. like the ring he's their yeah. he's their version of the ring so anyway but i thought this was really good um again i had to sit with it a couple times but i definitely think it's worthwhile uh dan what did you think of it the thing i i like about it is that it starts off being a kind of okay thing about you know this kid who's on drugs and his girlfriend and then when david toma shows up the sort of the tone shifts it becomes more of a i don't want to say it's like it's an infomercial for david toma's speeches or anything but it it shifts from kind of being a Mm -hmm. uh uh, like an after school special type thing about a kid who's on drugs and his girlfriend is trying to help him to someone who's trying to help everyone the story that we were shown at the beginning with, with, with Doug and Lori is is an example of it. Mm. And and he is there to help. And just the way, I mean, I love I love the scene where he sits down with the woman from Nightmare on Elm Street 2 and, and, and her friend, and he's just talking to them. He's just like taking their hands and, and you know, it's his huge hands like holding their faces and just telling them that it's going to be okay. It's just it's my dad. I love him so much. It's just that whenever I stay with him, he, he tells me he loves me and he acts like he loves me. But after he's had a few drinks, he just... He tells me that I remind him too much of mom and he just gets mean. Sure, he gets mean. The alcohol is making him mean. Do you understand what I'm saying? The drugs are making him mean. Alcohol is a drug. It's making him that way. Listen to me, sweetheart. He doesn't know how to love you. He's in love with the alcohol right now. But let's take care of you. Why should you kill yourself for your father? Why should you kill yourself for me or anyone? No one's worth it. We're going to help you. We're going to turn your life around. Do you understand me? I want you to hold her hand. We're going to teach each other how to love now. We're going to learn right now. Instead of the drugs, we're going to love each other. And after we teach you how to love each other and how to love yourself, honey, then we're going to teach you how to take care of your dad, okay? We're going to show you how to love your father. Let's turn your life around. I think he become he's so sincere and he's obviously so he's not you know he's not a jerk he he's a real he's a good person and so there's something about that that kind of overwhelms the sort of slightly trite uh framing story mm, sure. almost and makes it almost more powerful now there is something about like there there's a bit near the end where Mr. Toma is is giving his speech to the parents and it intercuts with Bud Bundy um doing coke 
which is a little <laughs> like, what's going on there? Um, but um, is it is it overwrought? Uh, yes. Is it didactic? Oh, you 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 bet your sweet fat mama it is. But is it affecting? Yes, I think it is. And and I think uh, uh, part of that is like there's a scene where Lori goes to see Doug's mom and says, uh, you know, Mrs. Doug's mom, <laughs> he's on drugs. And she's like, why would you say that? Oh, my gosh. And she slams the door in Lori's face. But then but then it's great because the way Anson Williams shoots it is you get Lori on one side, obviously one's outside. And, and the mom is inside and the mom slams the door and you stay with the mom. You stay on the mom and you could see Lori is still on the other side, of the, but it's like a frosted glass. So you can't, it's, it isn't like Lori's leaning in going, Hey, what's happening. You could just see her moving or like image of her moving around being basically like, come on, please. We have to help Doug. We have to help Doug. We, you know, that kind of thing. And you just focus on the mom for like, 30 seconds, 40 seconds. I didn't time it. Um, when she's like, she's realizing that, oh crap, Lori's right. All this stuff is, is coming to me now. Like our son's in trouble. And and the camera just like focuses on her as you see Lori kind of moving in the frosted glass on the other side. And then she opens up the door to let Lori in. And it's really a, a, a nicely directed and, and acted to a moment that is almost... Um, not the kind of thing you'd see on TV circa that time. It's a little more um, cinematic. It's a little more subtle. And um, go Anson. I, I did. Yeah, exactly. And um, you know, I'm a potsy, potsy every day oh, of the week. You know how I yeah. feel about potsy. You know how I feel about potsy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so um, and so I I think um yeah like I said overwrought didactic possibly a bit too much on occasion. Oh yeah, definitely. But that's what they did back then, yeah. and I would I would rather see something that is well intentioned like this, and um, I get to the end of it and and feel like okay, I hope that helped, rather than watch something idiotic like one of the satanic panic kind of things sure. where they're telling you how terrible heavy metal, which are hilarious to watch, but you get to the end of those and you're like, oh come on, get out of get out of my house. So I love Mr. Mr. Toma. It, he works really he he works really well in this and just the fact that they make so many points about he is real everything else is fiction is to me like um a weird like postmodern thing and i'm saying like postmodern fiction style thing sure. that i just really like and and it's just and i i think it works and i love how angry he gets when there aren't more parents there and i love when he yells at Doug when Doug shows up That's and is right. kind of like talking during his chat I, I don't know if i were to show it to someone high school age today yeah like i know a lot of lot of high school age people um but if i were, they, they might think it was a little, a little much but they also might catch the wave of it and be like, I'm going to stop doing drugs. And then I'd say, were you doing drugs? And hopefully they'd say no, but now I'm never going to do them. That's the power of Toma and Anson <laughs> Williams. So that's my thought. So just real quick, when you were talking about that scene with the mom, I thought another really nice touch was, um, it's just real brief, but any, and I'm not sure he was doing one thing, but like, so when Lawrence Pressman is talking to Doug, so Lord, the dad, Jack is talking to Doug. He's like, he's like, you need to get a job and you need to do this. And the whole time that he's doing it, he's smoking. Right. And he might yes. even be drinking. So they're talking about all these little kind of addictions that people have, I think are very subtly interspersed. 
I think he has like a little brandy or something yeah. in one hand at, at one point. And, yeah. and I yeah. don't know, it's probably too much to say smoking and drinking is going to lead to snorting coke. But but I think it's interesting to show that there's like a chain of addiction probably existing in the house. Yes. And it's I yeah. think it's pretty well done that way. Like, so I think Hanson Williams did a great job with this. I really like the way he interspersed really? the speeches. The, the second time I watched it when I knew what was ha- going to happen, um, I, I really thought, yeah, he actually he actually puts it together pretty darn well for sort of a trying to scare the crap out of your kids to never do drugs special from the mid 80s yeah no he is a pretty good directing job um nate had you ever seen this before what'd you think of it i had never heard of it actually and i'd never heard of uh david toma but i don't think i'll ever forget him (laughs) um yes (laughs) he has such uh presence and at first i thought this guy's a really good actor and then i realized oh wait he's just playing himself of course he's a good actor he's (laughs) He's being who he is. I think that he knew how to command a room. Yes. Um, and and get their attention. Um, even going so far as to throwing a student out and being like, "Yeah, tell your parents I did it." <laughs> <laughs> um, and I kind of understand what Dan's saying to that. You know, we start following you know the the main guy and and this it kind of just turns into the David Toma special for the most part. I feel like it becomes more about him and, like you said, helping the other students, you know, because Lisa Myers. Um, oh, Kim Myers. Kim Myers. Kim Myers. She played Lisa and not Meredith. <laughs> uh, Kim Myers. Um, you know, she's upset and talking about, you know, how her dad, you know, is nice to her until he's drinking and then he's not anymore. And, um, I mean, yes, it, it's all overwrought and stuff like that. But like you said, uh, I've, you get the vibe that Dave – um, really does want to help them. Um, I mean, I, I didn't doubt his sincerity. Yes. But I, I, I do know, honestly, just I was in high school in the 90s, um, and we had, like, people come and talk to us about stuff yeah. like that. And nobody took them seriously uh, behind mm-hmm. the scenes. And as an adult, I kind of feel like the reason they didn't is because they they kind of lump marijuana in with like uh, cocaine and and you yeah. know like uh, meth and all these awful drugs that you know can can really mess you up. Um, and a lot of students I went to school with did smoke marijuana, so I'm like they kind of thought it was funny. Whereas I think if they had did less focus on on marijuana and actually tried to focus on the more serious drugs, I think. Thing, it it might have been taken more seriously is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, we had people like this come to our school too. And I mean, when I was little, it was pretty effective to have speakers come and we had performers come like, um, what was that group? Did you have them too, Dan? They were like a group of singers and I think that they were like franchise. Like it wasn't like a one band. It was like several bands that worked for like um somebody and they would that's, like, they would sing like uh, down with drugs, up with people. You know what I'm talking about? That's, that 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 sounds familiar. I, I seem to remember. I, I was I was racking my brain this morning trying to think of something I would have seen like this, and, uh, when I was in high school or grammar school and such. And the only thing I can remember is there were some a bunch of people who sang to us about drugs. Yeah, not about how great they were, but how troublesome. They could yeah, be. and we would have been really little. Like we wouldn't have been high school. It would have been like we were in like oh, grade school. Really? Yeah, I don't think that was a high school thing. Oh, okay, because I was going to say, I went to grade school, I was in Catholic school, and if you mentioned drugs, the nuns would hit you in the back of the head with a ruler. 
so you didn't we didn't have to worry well, about that kind of crap they're your toma yeah <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure that the up with people or whatever they were called was like um there is an up with people yeah, yeah that's who i saw i think i think i was in grade school and I, I don't remember too much about high school that happening and if it did i probably didn't go i don't remember there being a lot of assemblies that i attended and i think because our school was so large i was able to get away with it um because yeah, there yeah, were like same. 600 kids in our in my graduating class and that's just one of the four classes that were there so we're talking about like 2000 plus students so it was pretty easy to like not show up for things you know what i mean um possibly including my sats cuz i don't have any memory of testing for anything so <laughs> <laughs> and that might explain something about me but um and now i have a master so that so you can do it too is what i'm saying but anyway um yeah i do think i do think it's really i think teenagers are a very difficult audience to reach i do think david tillman had the right approach in that he would have the parents come to the evening session because i kind of think that he where he was taking he was doing two different approaches which were really interesting because when he had um, kim myers in his office he was telling her to forget about her father and to think about herself for a while and that her father was going to be another thing, but that he had to deal with her problems that she was having with her father. And I really like that aspect of focusing on her over the dad. And but then at the same time, he was also trying to get parents to take responsibilities for things, too, in the evening session. So he was actually doing two different approaches and um, both, I think, fairly effective for what they were. But anyway, I didn't mean to cut you off, Nate. Do you want to? Tell us some more about your oh. high school experiences with um, all your drug addict friends. <laughs> well, I didn't want to go into it, but <laughs> I will. Um, I worked for Kentucky Fried Chicken when I was 16, and that's where I was first introduced to um, <laughs> the um, devil's lettuce, as we <laughs> shall say. And, <laughs> and, and there you have it. And I still smoke today. We're all confessing so many things tonight. It's crazy. Yes. I was, but I am a responsible smoker, though. Like, I don't smoke and drive. I don't I, I, I don't smoke and go anywhere, really. I only do it after. <laughs> usually, I like to smoke after a long day of work. And I come home, yes. and I'm not planning on going anywhere. Yeah. I, I will say, though, that's all I've done. I haven't tried any of the crazier drugs. <laughs> I know a lot of people say that marijuana is the gateway drug, but it's I, just that, the gateway to my true. fridge. Yeah, yeah, I don't I, is that, that's not really true, is it? I, I don't I, think I, it's a I, gateway. I, I think it's the, but it is the first step because it is the milder of the drugs. So I think I think when when people smoke it, not everybody obviously, but I think a lot of people when they smoke it and they really like it, may, it might make them more adventurous for other things. So I don't necessarily think yeah. it's a gateway, but I do think that it's a thing that if you, if you do it and you find that you're doing it and you're enjoying it, you may want to like seek out other types of drugs. But like addiction is like, so for instance, I had a boyfriend who had no addiction issues. So he would try different kinds of drugs because he knew he could try them and not feel the need to ever do them again. And I'm not sure how he discovered he didn't have an addiction problem. But down the line, he did everything, he even smoked crack. And mm. he told me he really enjoyed it. But, like, he did it the mm. one time, had the experience, and that was it. And so, like, by the time I met him, he had gotten everything out of his system. But he had done, like, everything. And so, like, <laughs> it was just something he could do and walk away from. But most people can't. Like, once you start smoking crack and shooting heroin, you're addicted. Mm. You're going to get addicted, right? So, like, um, even I don't know. Even cocaine to me seems like a lesser offense. But, like, um, but definitely, like, most people can't just smoke crack and walk away from it. But I, I just think it's yeah. like I just think it's a process, right? But but all drug addiction, me speaking with no experience with it, most drug addiction <laughs> is rooted in something else, just like her shoplifting in mm. the previous episode. So like 
you know, a lot of people can party and do cocaine, but I think people who have a lot of other problems, it probably becomes more attractive to them because it's a great means for escape. I, I, I think the thing with cocaine, too, was that it, it was one of those things that at one time it was legal-ish. You know, it used to be in Coca-Cola. Mm, that's right. You know, it was like Sherlock Holmes used to do it. And I know he's fictional. Don't don't be like, uh, Dan, uh, Sherlock Holmes is a fictional character. But he used to do cocaine. And it wasn't like, oh, my gosh, Dr. Watson wasn't like, that's illegal. He was like, don't do that. You know, and so so like cocaine was, was different at one time. I've never done cocaine. I have like put flour on a little piece of glass and cut it up with a razor blade <laughs> wow. and snorted it just for fun. Just to be like when I was a kid, I would do it just to be cool. I watched Miami vice, you know, I was like, I just want to do this. No, but I don't need to snort Coke, you know? And I am very proud of Bud Bundy for figuring out how cocaine works because the way the scene, there's a scene in the episode where Doug is doing some Coke and he's got his back to his door, which is open and Bud is look, or I forget his character's name. His brother's is looking in at him, but his brother apparently figures out like this white stuff is something you put up your nose or do whatever with. Because I would have just seen it, been like, "What the hell is this? It's like some kind of cleaning, like a bon ami. Am I going to cleanse the sink or something with this?" But he's good. He's good as Bud Bundy. Yeah, he's very good. Yeah. Since we're here, let's talk about the ending. So this. Yes. This goes somewhere that I could not have predicted. So so Doug is kind of spiraling out of control. So he at the beginning, he's starting to like mess around with cocaine and stuff. And he's a saxophone player, but he goes to this audition and he's really bad. And it's because he's high. And the other band members, and I don't remember any high school bands with a sax player. Like, I, I don't mean band from school. I mean, like a band that plays gigs, right? Rock band, yeah. Yeah, like he's Huey Lewis in the news or like Steely Dan or something is happening here at this school. And so, like, <laughs> he's like, he's like, oh, I just, I just needed like another day. I was nervous and and the band is totally straight and they're just like well okay you can come back tomorrow they're being pretty good about it but he's horrible and he's only horrible because he's totally high and so we see that that Doug is leaning on this stuff and so he does it when he's at home and he's pretty bold about it because he leaves the door half open and his little brother who's got some kind of illness um comes in and yeah, spies on him allergies or it's something that leaves him in bed all the time and i one of the things that i like about this episode before we get to the ending is that although doug is doing a lot of drugs and he's being pretty bad to Lori, um at towards the end him and his brother louis have a really nice friendship and a, yeah. a brotherly thing happening that's really sweet which makes the ending i think more impactful and so mm -hmm. so louis is like watching doug like set up a line or whatever and um and so then he recalls that sort of memory towards the end and um so he's home alone now let's talk about david toma killing people he kills people because louis might still be with us if the mother had stayed behind instead of going to see toma speak Right. I never thought about that. Because she leaves I him. Never of, yeah. She leaves him alone to go to this talk because she's so worried about her son. Right. So he's home alone. He's bored. He decides he's going to go into Doug's room and he figures he remembers how to set up a line and snort it. Yes. And he does it. And then we assume he does it. And then Doug comes home and he sees that all the drug paraphernalia is on the bed or somewhere at the desk or somewhere like that. And he's really pissed off. And then he looks out the window and he sees something. And then you see him running out of the house. And then we see. 
freaking heck of a shot. Yeah, yeah, Louis face down in the pool, and then the and then the free, and then it shows Doug jumping into the water, and it freezes while he's halfway in the water yeah. with uh, Louis face down, and then it ends like there's some voiceover from David Toma, and then the credits roll, and then we're all to assume right that Louis killed himself. Yes. Yeah. So, what do you guys think of the ending? Um, I mean, I thought that they were trying to teach a lesson about <laughs> drugs in the house being a bad thing. But, I mean, it's it's sort of like Dan was saying about Portrait of a Teenage uh, Shoplifter, that it's it's such a downer that I can't see myself revisiting it. Yeah. You know, it's it's very down and depressing. I had to go watch A Married with Children after I finished, <laughs> just so I could remind exactly. myself that he was you still fine. He's, yes. he's Grandmaster B. <laughs> exactly. I wanted to see Kelly show up and insult him or something. That's what yes. I want. So Dan, what do you think? When when it begins and you see Doug and Lori before Mr. Thomas shows up, it's not you know it's not the best you know it's not you know Proust or Dennis Potter writing, but it's it's decent writing. Then when Mr. Thomas shows up, the the focus sort of shifts. But then that moment where Doug is like he gets home and he's like. And mom is like, hey, I want to talk to you. And Doug's like, okay, ma, I'll be right down. I'm just going to go up to my room, open up the dictionary, which I've hollowed out, which is full of cocaine, leave the door open, and snort it with my brother who doesn't leave the house, who always comes into my room, like, looking at me. It just, it just, it it got slightly, overwrought. It's effect, it's effective. But it's also, it got a little sloppy, mm. I think, right when it gets near the end. And when it got, you know, it's like, um, I love a good, uh, like, a, like, a, what, what is it? Is it, um, I want to say there's a film called The Last Ride or something like that, like a driver's ed film where like a girl is going, it's from the 70s, where like a girl is going to a prom and it ends with them like getting in a horrible, like drunk driver related crash. I love stuff like that. Give me that all day long. But this this is a little little slightly different because it it the moment it focuses on Mr. Toma, it kind of loses the Doug thread a bit. Mm. So when Bud have and he has the moments where he's like freaking out, he's rubbing his arms, and I thought, where 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 are your parents? You know, where is everyone? You know, where's Kelly? What's going on? You know, and and he's like going to kill himself. It I guess that's kind of. It, it didn't lose me because I that ending moment, that freeze frame where he leaps and Doug leaps in the pool and the freeze frames, I think is really a powerful moment because, you know, his brother's dead. And um, at least that's what I thought. Yeah, that's what I assumed. And, and, yeah, he's dead. And, and it's a powerful moment to end on. And then Mr. Toma comes in with a final line, which I thought I'd written down. But the last note I have written down is Anson Williams. <laughs> it, it's interesting because they, they're they doing so good with Mr. Toma and what he's saying that the this, oh, my brother's going to wander in, snort a, <laughs> to a couple hot lines, you know. Off a cook of uh, like a like um and, and call up some hookers. No, no, um, no. Uh, you know, but he's going to do a couple lines and then he's going to drown. Um, is is where you can see it going, but part of me, because they focus so much on a real life person, um, speaking out against it. Part of me almost thought you could do a little better than that. Hmm. That's that's almost a little too like. We have to have the shock. It's prime time. Put mm, in the shock. Yeah. 
But I almost thought like, I think if you had sat down and done like an hour with your writers, you could have come up with an ending that wasn't so, um, I mean, this is like, all I could think of right there is I thought of like the Ed Wood, well, he, he only wrote it, but like the Violent Years. Mm, I love the Violent like, Years. It's been a long time since I've seen it, but it's great. Yes. Or, or like the Dwayne Esper films, like Mary Juana or, um, or, um, or Maniac from the thirties. I thought at that moment, it almost became like, um, an exploitation film, like, um, child bride or tomorrow's children from like the thirties, forties kind of, I accuse my parents, something like that, you know, where it was like, okay, you know, done a little better on the end, especially when you had the lovely, uh, the nice quote from Mr. Toma at the end, I, I, it was affecting and it's powerful but I also thought it was a bit of a cheat. Like, I think you could have done better, mm. to be honest. Now, now I'm just some dumb jackass saying that, but but I, I almost feel like it was a primetime special. You could have done one final rewrite on the ending, maybe. Maybe, but I, yeah, I think they were going for the shock. That seems very 80s yes. to me, right? To like just yes. kind of go for the jugular. And I appreciated it. I like the dark endings of some of the CBS school breaks because I'm not expecting them. They're kind of nice because, like, I think there is some realism there. And so what makes it so harrowing, I think, at the end is that it's not Doug that gets hurt. It's somebody that he really loves. And I think that's what makes it more effective. So for me, I agree with everything that you're saying. I could see exactly what you're saying. Um, And it's such an interesting, and I don't know why I never thought about the meta element of it, of a man playing himself amongst all these fictional characters. But like, um, but I kind of, for me, I think the ending works because it's not Doug overdosing. It's his brother, right? And, um, and, or drowning at least while he's high. And so like, I just, for me, it works. But like the first time I saw it, I, I remember like my jaw was on the floor. I was like, I cannot believe they killed a little kid in this they don't even kill kids in slasher movies you know what i mean and here's this freaking dead kid i'm looking at and it's it blew my mind and so i don't know i really appreciate the but i agree with everything you're saying you know i understand about the structure and stuff and maybe it could have ended differently and had the same power possibly i at the moment i don't know what that ending would have been because i think this works but i also think um yeah with with what everything Mr. Toma was saying and everything like that, it's it's a bit of a um, a bit of like a this will get you. Yeah. Did it, did it get you? Yeah, we got it. And and at the end of the day, that's actually not what these specials are doing. So I think I'm over. I'm over. <laughs> I'm overthinking it. Well, they're not as subtle as the after school specials. That's for sure. Because I think the after school specials are are more nuanced. Um, maybe that's also why I like the CBS school breaks too, because I kind of, you know me, I love soap operas and stuff. I love melodrama and I love things to be kind of excessive and things like that. Um, and I'm not saying that these are super excessive, but I do think that when I'm looking back to the after school specials, they, they deal with some really heady topics, but they managed to somehow give them mostly happy endings. And like, do there's one called don't touch, which is one about a girl who's being molested by somebody and I think it's Lenny Von Dolan is the child molester which blows my mind from Electric Dreams and and I think what happens is is that her babysitter had been molested years before and it kind of buried the memory by watching this little girl's actions while babysitting her made her realize that something was going on and then she started to remember her own abuse I think that's what happens and and that's a much more nuanced I think thing and in a way it kind of doesn't have a happy ending clearly because these girls are traumatized but it has an ending where it's able to sort of begin the healing process whereas the two specials we saw forget it 
like you're way far away yeah. from that part of your life. And so like, um, the, so, but the ABC after school special somehow managed to do it and keep it from feeling maybe as hokey, I guess, possibly. I, I, th- I think the moment we see Mr. Toma yelling at us for like 20 minutes, I guess everything goes out the window, sort of. Yeah. But I, I, I think maybe in my mind, I'm just trying to, and I do this a lot with stuff fr- from this time period or before, I try to just sort of rewrite it maybe the way I, I would like it to go. And I, I think it, in my heart, there's a better ending that's just as powerful, but this ending certainly can't be knocked, especially... When all the Snuggies commercials are going on. <laughs> uh, yeah, those were great. And then they also had, was it Michael Jordan that came in? And yes, for like two minutes, McDonald's. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting because he said exactly what Nate said about, um, you know, when adults try to tell, when I was a kid, when adults tried to tell me what to mm-hmm. do, I didn't want to do it either. You know, and it's actually pretty like um, honest. Like, I think he knows that, or whoever wrote that thing for Michael Jordan, knew that the kids that were watching this are probably going to have some eye rolls. A bit much, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and so he was, like, trying to clarify that. They give him an entire, like, commercial break. Yeah. I'm Michael Jordan. McDonald's restaurants have given me this time to talk to you about something we both really care about. Kids. Like McDonald's buys the entire like two minute commercial break to have Michael Jordan just tell us, hey, this might be a bit much, but it's still a problem. So please, please keep a watchful eye out and look for me in Space Jam. Yeah, years no, from now, it. years from now. And yes. um, and the snu- and the Snuggy Snuggles. Snuggies? Snuggles. Snuggles. Sorry, Snuggies, Snuggies are, uh, I think, blankets? underpants that little kids wear. Snuggles oh. is a fabric soft. Okay, what is the, what is the, is it a Snuggie? That thing that's like the jacket that's like a blanket? Oh, yeah, that's right. That's a Snuggie. That's right. The, yeah. the, the thing you put over yourself when you're cold. Snuggles is the little fabric softener guy. Okay, so he, he has kind of a helium voice, right? Hi, I'm yeah. Snuggles. I have. I'm, I'm great. Don't do drugs. I have a story for you. That's unlike any story you've ever heard. <laughs> I'm sitting back. Okay, so one day, I, so I worked at this bookstore, and I always saw celebrities, and I've told these a thousand stories about all the people I met. Probably one of the best encounters I ever saw, I didn't have this encounter, I watched it, was, first of all, I was on the first floor, and we had an elevator, and the elevator doors open, and who's standing there but John Malkovich, right? And as the doors open, it's like, And he's just this really tall guy standing there looking very serious. And he comes out of the elevator and he walks over to the children's section. And in the children's section was a kid with a helium balloon who was like doing the snuggles voice. And he ran up to John Malkovich and started talking to him like that. And John Malkovich had like no emotional response at all. And he was just looking at him. I don't think he was being rude or anything. He just looked at the kid and the kid was like, hi, I'm Snuggles or whatever. You know, he's trying to be funny. And the mom was like terrified because John Malkovich, he seems like he's seven feet tall to me in my memory. And she's just trying to get her kid away from John Malkovich because she's like terrified. And he's just staring at this little kid with like no emotion. And it was like the weirdest thing I'd ever seen. And it was amazing. That was, that's one I've not heard. Yeah, that's, that's a great one. I love it. It's one of my favorite, but I'll never forget. Yeah, I will never forget when the elevator doors open. It literally in my mind, it went, oh, like the gods. Oh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> it was so funny because he was so famous at the time, you know, I guess he's still pretty famous. Mm-hmm. And I just wasn't expecting John Malkovich to come out of the elevator, but there he was. Um, so anyway, so when I think of Snuggles, I think I instantly think of John Malkovich now. So it can, mm. it's impossible for me to separate the two. So anyway, that's a lot of nothing. So that was the drug knot. Um, 
I think we all enjoyed it, but we thought it was kind of a downer. We, I think we all enjoyed David Toma as a person. And, <laughs> but we might not recommend this. Is that right? Not necessarily not recommend it, but not recommend it, but not for multiple viewings. Um, yeah, I wouldn't recommend it for a feel good. Um, <laughs> uh, no, 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 special. no. Yeah, I, 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 I would. I mean, the um, the version I saw had it, the version I saw was weird because it had commercials. Yeah. But then occasionally, whoever was watching it changed the channel. Yeah. So one of the commercial breaks, I saw about two minutes of The Conqueror. Yeah. The John Wayne film, the one where everybody died from cancer because they were shooting out in New Mexico where they were doing the um, nuclear bomb testing, the one that um, Howard Hughes loved. And so I was just sitting there watching David Thomas saying, your kids are dying. I saw a kid the other day. And he he looked at me and he said, Mr. Toma, and that he was dead. <laughs> and then all of a sudden it cuts to John Wayne as a very unconvincing Asian gentleman fighting a bunch of other guys. And I sat there for two minutes watching it going, is this still the special? I know. I was like, is this an art film? Like, did, did, did the person who put this together? Because there's another black and white film interspersed in there, too. And I, yes, I, yes. I thought they were trying to do some art projects. <laughs> So whoever, I think there are a couple different versions available to watch, but there's one that's like 55 minutes and whoever taped it, God bless them. In the commercial breaks, they flipped around the channels. So you will see it hopping to, and the thing is back at that time in the mid eighties, the conqueror was very tough to see. It's not a good movie, so it should probably still be fairly tough to see. But um, so, so the fact that someone was like, I'm going to watch uh, the drug knot instead of the conqueror. Hey, that's their choice. But it was it, it was it, it's an interesting viewing. And um, I, I like I said honestly, um, you're probably better off watching an episode of Beretta, mm. or maybe not. I don't know. I haven't watched Beretta well, in like four years. If you can get your hands on the actual original series Toma, which I've never seen. Hold it, please. What are you? Some kind of a Superman who can put on a disguise and knock over the syndicate single handed? Yes, I can. In this town, I can. Ah, uh, Department of Health. It's a priest! This place will rob you! We're friends of Dave's. Tell him he's working too hard. Susan Strasberg, Simon Oakland, Tony Musante is Toma from True Accounts of a Real Cop. Tony Musante played him originally and it only ran for a yeah. season and there's some controversy about why it didn't keep running because people said that Tony Musante walked off but he said that his contract actually only stated that he need he only had to do a year he was going to obligate himself to a year as a weekly series and then he would do a series of mini series uh, about Toma but um but when he when the show ended after the first season he, he kind of got raked through the coal saying that he was he's the one that ruined production and um he was very upset about it but he apparently was looking to do other things not just a weekly series so but then they would they revamped it and then they turned it into bread and bread around three and a half seasons and um i'm forgetting the actor's name now um who played beretta Robert Blake, Robert Blake, Robert, apparently yeah. Robert Blake ran the, ran the network roughshod. Like apparently he was just a menace to society. Um, 
that whole time that the show was on because it was so popular and he kind of could do whatever he wanted. Um, I read that in a Levinson and Link book because um, oh. they this is a non sequitur to anything. But like when Levinson and Link were working on Columbo, the, you know, they stayed friendly with Peter Falk, but um, they would have creative run-ins with him. And Peter Falk wanted to direct an episode. And so what they did was um, he was, he was being kind of, um, they weren't getting along. And so they ended up purposely writing a script that took place at a construction site because of all the sound and the dust because oh, yeah. they knew it would be very difficult to shoot. And and they purposely made the, the shoot difficult for Peter Falk because they were angry at him. And at the end, of okay. yeah, they talked about it in one of their books. I'm sending Lincoln written books about their filmmaking career. And so they're, both their books are amazing. And um, anyway, they said that, you know, Peter Falk only ever directed one thing and it's that Columbo. And there's a David Toma tie in here in a second. But um, then they said that it wasn't until Robert Blake got to the network and did Beretta that they really realized how good they had it with Peter Falk because he was known for being notorious oh. around. Oh, I yeah. So, so anyway, whatever you think about Robert yeah. Blake, apparently when he got in charge, mm. he was in charge. But anyway, David, David <sighs> Toma, um, actually appears in an episode of Columbo in a, in a small role in the episode Lovely But Lethal, which I think is the Vera Miles episode with Vincent Price. Is that Price. the Vera Miles one? I just watched that yeah, one. Yeah, I think on... he has a part in it. I think I read that somewhere. Yeah, that's a fun one with Martin Sheen. Yeah, yeah. And Vincent Price, yeah, yeah. That's a fun one, yeah. yeah. So anyway, let me give you some background on this. Um, we're almost at the end here. We've got Nate the whole way, so let's keep him. So. Yay. This CBS School Break episode was produced by Alan Shapiro, who produced Scared Straight, as I said earlier. It was originally produced for the School Break series, but ended up airing in primetime. It would play against part three of a rerun, or I should say a rerun of part three of The Winds of War, and an episode of Highway to Heaven. It got the biggest ratings in that time slot with a 14.1 slash 24. Um, around the time that CBS aired this, 48, uh, there were several drug episodes, or several drug things happening on the networks, like specials and TV episodes. So let me just kind of give you a little bit of context for this. So around the time the CBS aired this, they also aired 48 hours on crack street on NBC with something called cocaine country and um, Webster and Mr. Belvedere were preempted for something called crack fights back exclamation point. So here's a little article I found in a newspaper. It's two paragraphs. So, Bear with me. Here I'm going to go. Consider the topic of drugs now. On Tuesday night, CBS News will present 48 Hours on Crack Street, a two-hour primetime special anchored by Dan Rather. Ten correspondents and 15 camera crews search out drug traffic. On Friday, NBC News will give us Cocaine Country, an hour-long report anchored by Tom Brokaw. Addicts and former addicts will speak. Mrs. Reagan and the commissioners of baseball and football are interviewed. The same night, ABC preempts Webster Mr. Belvedere for Crack Fights Back. Bill Butel, I think, moderates a call-in show with doctors, law enforcement officials, and other experts. CBS will be particularly active. Um, so they did a movie, I think it's called Courage. I don't know if that's the full title, but it starts Sophia Loren. Courage, based on a true story, Sophia Loren will play a woman who becomes a federal agent after her son turns to drugs. In a television film, The Drug Knot, David Toma, the former Newark police officer who now lectures against drugs, will play himself. The new comedy series, Better Days, will devote an episode on the basketball player on a basketball player hooked on cocaine, and the equalizer will do a story about crack dealers presumably the dealers will be killed so yes. yeah so so just understand the context of where the drug knock came out it really fits in nicely it's not like it's this anomaly to have this weird kind of uh maybe somewhat over the top hour-long special with like a dark ending like they were really finding all these different ways to talk about drugs so just these few shows that we've talked about here in this news article are um We've got a call-in show, right, with doctors. We have 48 hours 
uh, covering like actual on the street drug addicts, right? And something called Cocaine Country. I mean, like it was just really hitting TV movies with Sophia Loren. I mean, it was really like hitting all the beats here. And so um, this this oh, wow. is kind of an interesting cultural artifact, I guess, of 1986. Um, and like I said before, this was only partially scripted. Thomas' talks were not written for the special; they were his. And there were reviews of this. So Lee Mar- Margulies of the LA Times said the drug not was flawed and heavy handed, but delivered a strong anti-drug message. Variety said the special had a quote-unquote simplistic directness that carried an enormous impact. Uh, and again, it was directed by Anson Williams, which may explain why we see Rance Howard as the principal. And that Yay. is The Drug Knot. Two things. One, Rance Howard is in a great film from the mid-70s, mid to late 70s called Mr. No Legs, yes. which you should all watch immediately. He has a comb-over that is to die for throughout <laughs> them. And um, the the Peter Falk directed episode of Columbo's Blueprint for Murder. Okay. It's the it's the last one of season one, and it's Patrick O'Neill who I know best as the from Silent Night Bloody Night. Mm. Um, and and it's that's an interesting episode because I did not know that that they they set it in the construction site to to give him grief because what I remember is Peter Falk in an interview or somewhere saying that um, the first episode of that season Murder by the Book was directed by Steven Spielberg yes. and Peter Falk went to Steven Spielberg for tips on how to direct the episode so I guess if Levinson and Link are trying to sabotage you in circa 1971-72 you go to Steven Spielberg and he'll tell you how to make it all right. It's probably, yeah. So that that was just so I just I just wanted to mention that. Yeah, it's really neat. Um it's a neat piece of trivia. Uh but they they got along with them, you know, yeah. for the most part. But they you know, it's creative whatever clashing. It was not a big deal. It's time, it's time for, time feedback. for feedback. On Facebook, uh Jack Demis said, I like fifteen and getting straight and stoned and the late great me. Oh wait, did I get the fifteen and getting straight and stoned? I'm not sure that's the same title. The Late Great Me, they should revive the series. Rockford J said something here that I'm not sure Nate will understand. He said, I hope somebody mentions Amy Sedaris and Jerry Blank looking at you, Nate. Do you guys know this reference? Yes, it's from Strangers yeah, with Candy. Strangers with Candy, yeah. But what is it to do with... I stole a TV. Oh. Um, yeah, Jerry Blank, they basically, they parody the after-school specials yes. on Strangers oh. with Candy. And they do it brilliantly. Yes, it's brilliant satire. Show. Beautiful show, and the movie is great too. Yeah, yeah. I have seen the movie. Is the movie with um Stephen Colbert? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's in he's in the show. Yeah, too. I've seen yeah, the movie. Yeah. I love the movie. I've never seen the and series. Paul Danello, I think is uh, I may be getting him wrong. That's he's Joffrey Joffrey Jellin. Yes, yes. They're so good. They're so it's such a freaking great show. And yeah, they're after school specials and so good. So cool. Good. Okay, so okay, Rockford J. I hope you're happy now. Um, I think he clearly knew I wasn't going to get it. I love that he put Nate's name. Um, so, <laughs> so we heard from our friend Jack on Twitter. Um, Dan and I know Jack fairly well. He sent us um, a little thing about Portrait of a Teenage Shoplifter. It's really great. So let me just read it. Portrait of a Teenage Shoplifter pro- proves Joe Spinnell was in everything. I think I've watched this special five times. I love all the little things. The disco Muzak in the store that sounds an awful lot like Funky Town to the disco pinball machine. I'm not going to lie. I love the shoplifting scenes with the stinger music used as she would thrust her five-finger discounts into her handbag. Besides that stunning final five minutes, the craziest thing is the gal in school that wants Pete so much she busts out dancing at the strangest times. Everyone just stands around and watches as she does her mating dance. Must be seen to be believed. Okay, thank you, Jack. 
Um, and then the rest of our feedback is just actually for, well, one's for Charlie's Angels and then one is for um, all of us. So let, so our last episode, for proper episode, we had John Larkin on, Nate couldn't make it, um, but we got a really nice piece of email from Stan. By the way, Stan left a comment about um, Drug Not Too because David Toma came to his school and spoke. So he actually has seen what? David Toma in person. Yeah. And he said it was... And Stan wrestled with yeah, him. I've seen Stan. Yeah, he, he got in there. They just did. They had a little brawl. It was awesome. Um, he said he was really <laughs> cool. So, But then he wrote this to me in an email. He wrote, I got to see the Charlie's Angels pilot, which I've been wanting to check out since your Aaron Spelling podcast. Holy cow. I call myself a MASH super fan and an old school Kate Jackson fan. And I had no idea that David Augen Steers was in the pilot. No idea that Kate had switched roles from Kelly to Sabrina. And holy crap, it's Tommy Lee Jones. I kind of thought I would stir up vague memories of watching this, but it was clear I'd never seen it. I did recognize the clips from the later opening, Kelly swooping her luxurious hair out of the helmet. I have no doubt your hair does the same. He wrote that to me because I'm super into Kelly's hair. And the shot of Kate all in black and her walkie-talkie. I also feel like even though I don't recognize anything else in the episode, I recognize that crazy pink cap Jill was wearing for the swamp sequence. And also, why is Jill wearing a giant pink cap on her head in the swamp sequence? I thought they were trying to remain unseen. It was awesome. Mostly, I've forgotten how dang pretty all three of them are. I'll have to watch the series. Good timing. My MASH rewatch for this year is just about up. So thank you, Stan. Yeah, the pink cap thing is really funny. I didn't even think about that till you said it. And I'm glad you enjoyed the episode. And thank you so much for listening. He also sends in stuff for the trap cast. That's um, really always informative and interesting. He always points out things that I just didn't pick up, even though I've seen every episode 15,000 freaking times. And then we got an email from someone named James. He wrote, hello, Amanda, Dan, and John. Oh, okay. this is a reference to the last episode. I'm sorry. Um, he means Nate, though, too, I think, when he's talking about this. So he wrote, It's always nice to see a new episode of Made for TV Mayhem, and this one is a doozy. I hope listeners out there in podcast land aren't shaming Dan and John for their lack of Charlie's Angels viewing. There are too many great shows out there, and we can't see them all, though we try our best. I'm actually envious of Dan and John. They get the pleasure of seeing Charlie's Angels for the first time. So I have seen Charlie's Angels, maybe not every episode, but I enjoyed the series as a kid in the 80s. I had never seen the pilot. I love overly complicated long con storylines. Your background about Kate Jackson was very interesting. I think she was always painted as a troublemaker on that show, and I'm glad to hear that was not the case. The Old Man Who Cried Wolf. Wow, what a gut punch. I'd never seen this movie, but I'm so glad I did. It was suspenseful, fatalistic, and heartbreaking. What came to mind while watching it were the stories of David Gudis, I hope I said that right, and Cornell Woolrich, especially Woolrich novel Phantom Lady and the 1944 film made from it. In the book slash movie, a man has a night out on the town, gets drunk, and when he wakes up the next day, he's arrested for murder. He claims that he spent the night with a woman, but at every place where he appeared in public with her, witnesses claim that there was no woman, that he was, in fact, alone. It is maddening in the same way as Edward G. Robinson's experience in the movie. The viewer knows the truth and just ends up shouting at the TV the whole time. Great stuff, though. The Old Man Who Cried Wolf was has the same bleak B-movie film noir vibe as the best of Goodis's and Woolrich's work. Now, I've only read the story that Woolrich, um, they adapted Rear Window from, but it's fantastic. So I'm going to check out The Phantom Lady because I've been wanting to read that book anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah it's, so thank you for bringing that up. Um, and then he goes on. Another thing I thought of while watching it was that it would have been great and a lot less bleak if Emil and Louie, the young black kid who's in the store just prior to Sam Jaffe's character's murder, teamed up to bring down Frank Jones. I like the idea of cross-generational multi-ethnic collaboration in the post-riot Los Angeles hellscape of the 1970s. Louie has a pretty good aim with a tin can. It might have come in handy in Ruth Roman's apartment. Yeah, the, I think that would have been a yes. great to see Louie team up. And, and I think at the beginning I had this idea that 
that Louis would have come forward to help Emil, but and done a little more. Yeah, but yeah, it just yeah, never yeah. comes to be. Um, then he. It just it just kind of goes darker and yeah. darker, unfortunately. Yeah, we've been watching yeah. some dark ones, haven't we? So um, <laughs> we have. I. When are we going to talk about escape? <laughs> Chris yeah, George, well, on, we're going to get no, light. I'm we're kidding. going to get light here in a little bit. So, yes, um, yes. and then uh, he finished with "Keep up the great work. Stay safe. Wash your hands and wear a mask." Best, James. Thank you so much, James. That was a really great email. And Thank you, yeah, James. we really appreciate you listening. And um, we hope you're doing okay out there. I know it's still we're still in year zero here and everything is weird and we hope it's a little brighter when you listen to us as much as i go on and on about nothing um so let me tell you what our next episode is going to be and then how to get in touch with us and then we're done so um so my next episode i can't actually fully announce it but we have i have a guest lined up i just have to figure out times and dates and i have the first movie picked out but not the second one but it's going to be a halloween special and i'm going with a, a movie that i know we're all going to love that's a lot of fun it's not dark at all and we're gonna have a really good time with it it's just finding the pair i want to double it with something really good so i will be announcing that on our social media so if you're interested in following us on any of that you can find us at twitter at tv mayhem podcast you can find us on facebook at the made for tv mayhem show or you can find us on instagram at made for tv mayhem or you can of course email us at tv mayhem podcast at gmail.com so just real briefly I guess the big thing I announced on the last episode, I can't really talk about anything that I've done because it hasn't been announced yet except for two things. So um, I did the liner notes for a David Green theatrical film called I Start Counting. So I mentioned it because David Green was a very prominent television director and I actually kind of write about his TV career and how it correlates with I Start Counting and the other movie he made called The Shuttered Room, which was another theatrical that I find a lot of similarities to his TV work in. Um, That's coming out through Fun City Editions, which is being carried through Vinegar Syndrome. I believe that's coming out next month. And I also did the liner notes for The Last Starfighter, which is coming out through Arrow. Um, next month as well nice. yeah i'm so excited that was such a pleasure for me um and um dan real quickly what are you up to hey i'm hanging around on made for tv mayhem no um uh adventure super train as as we're recording this i'm about to put up episode 95 wow. and um uh, so I don't know exactly when you'll hear this, but we are my uh, my my girlfriend Tim S. Turner, who's a fan of the show. We are talking Nero Wolf, nineteen eighty one Nero Wolf, with um, William Conrad and Lee Horsley, uh, the great Kristen Hawes, Kiki writes, and myself are talking about Auto Man. We're on episode six or seven, and I have just begun talking by myself, which is my favorite way to talk. I'm kidding, of course. Um, about the 1992 show on the air, oh, yeah. which is um, David Lynch and Mark Frost's follow-up to Twin Peaks. So I'm doing that. Uh, Rocking all week with you, my Happy Days podcast. We're in season four. We're in the vicinity. Of, we're I, actually uh, the episode I'm about to record is Fonzie's best friend, and Fonzie's best friend is Potsy. Who is Anson Williams, which is cool. And I am I'm about to begin a new minute by minute horror film related podcast um shortly. So yeah, that's kind of what's going on here. Awesome. Um and Nate, I know you guys are doing a lot of commentary work. Has anything been announced? Um I will say that we got offered two rather big films. I can't say what they are, but oh. I will say they're they're rather big and I'm very excited. Awesome. Nice. Well you You'll have to tell us after. I'll tell you all. Yeah, okay, cool. (laughs) We need to be in the know. But um, one thing I think I need to do, so I'm really bad about the social media, is I think I need to start incorporating your guys' projects onto the uh, 
Twitter and stuff. But anyway, um, also you have a podcast called Hysteria Continues, which I was just on recently. TV uh, movie fans might be interested in listening to it because it's a, oh, yes. a, on that episode Great we talk about Dark Knight of the Scarecrow, which we talked about here as well. Yes. And I kind of I might repeat myself a little, and I'm sorry if I do that. But um, but I had a really good time going on Hysteria Continues and talking about one of my all-time favorite made-for-TV movies, quite possibly my favorite. I know I always say it's The South Possessed, but every time I watch Dark Knight of the Scarecrow, I'm just so blown away by how good it is i can't get over it's like perfect to me but anyway so check all that stuff out i'm going to do my best to keep it going on the social media i'm going to try to up my stuff here um anyway just uh keep an eye out and we hope you enjoyed and we'll see you again soon good night good night everyone